Programs on this feed were made possible this month through generous donations from listeners like you. Well, actually, they're uglier than you, but no, (laughs) special thanks to uh, Sean Engel of the uh, Just One of the Guys podcast and my by uh, Michael and Andy Leyland of the Hey Kids Comics podcast. Welcome to the family, guys. And uh, thank you very much for the, uh, again, very generous donations. Uh, You know, Two True Freaks literally runs on uh, on money you know that we get from the listeners so uh we very very much appreciate it thanks again and now it's time to sit back and enjoy the two true freaks internet radio broadcast Long ago, in a galaxy far, far away. There exists a state of cosmic civil war. A brave alliance of underground freedom fighters has challenged the tyranny and oppression of the awesome Galactic Empire. This is their story. Stan Lee presents Star Wars, the greatest space fantasy of all. New Year. Welcome to Two True Freaks. Two True Freaks 2013. Can you believe it? We survived the apocalypse, such as it was. I slept through it. How about that? I think it must have been like a bunny apocalypse or something because I did. It wasn't even a blip on the radar. I'm, you know, I'm sorely disappointed. I got to be honest. Although a meteor crashed in and you know, near the Mayan temple and killed like a whole colony of ants. So for them, <laughs> it was the end. It was the end. It was yes. Planet X. Maybe that's what it, yeah. Okay. Maybe that's what it was all about. It but was all I will, ants talking through the Mayans. And <laughs> I will tell you that I, I very much enjoyed your, uh, your media masochist episode that you, uh, that you put out on the subject. Oh, yes, I, I got yeah, I did. I got I got a real kick. I got a real kick out of when you said something about. Oh, I wish I could quote you exactly, but it was something to the effect <laughs> something that something like. Oh, <laughs> no, it was something to the effect of like, you know, well, nobody I know t- took any of that crap seriously or whatever. And I'm thinking, dude, I'm your best friend. I took. I didn't want to throw you under the bus, it, man. I'm oh. going to throw you under the bus <laughs> in the podcast. Come on. It wasn't that I took it seriously necessarily. It's just what I really enjoyed about that episode. And here it sounds. (laughs) You were just hoping. Well, yeah, kind of. But no, it was like 
I, I tell you, and this probably just sounds like I'm just, you know, stroking your ego, but seriously, the thing I liked best about that episode was, uh, you know, you obviously, you know, obviously you and I are the same age, so we have a lot of the same experiences and, you know, having grown up together and all that, but I really liked how you captured, um, that that you know that you did the whole flashback thing of we've been hearing about this for yes. so long so it's been a part of our lives for a very long time and so it wasn't so much believing it was sort of, it was more of that lingering thought in the back of your head that ah, I don't really think but maybe if? this time yeah you know and so it was that sort of thing. So yeah, at the at the end of the day, or actually it was like a day or two later, it was kind of that feeling of, well, that sucked, you know. And it's like, you know, and then you gotta kind of slap yourself and be like, dude, you're disappointed <laughs> that the world didn't end. Yeah, be happy no, you I, got I, a hot shower that day, Jesus. <laughs> right. I mean, at, at the end of the day, I didn't expect if there was anything to it. I didn't expect it was gonna be you know, fire and brimstone and, and, you know, an apocalypse. What I thought was that if there was anything to it, it was what um, whichever faction out there had come up with the idea of it was going to be, you know, some sort of, I don't know what you call it, some sort of like cosmic awareness or something happening, you know? I was like, all right, I can kind of buy that. I, Maybe well, that, that would be great. That would be fun, man. It would be like a Marvel cosmic comic, you know, and like right. Jack Kirby wave going over the world and everybody going, ma, and like vibing you know, together and coming up to each other and going, brother, brother, you know, and like... even so much that. What I really wanted I won't say that I believed was going to happen mm -hmm. but what I wanted to happen was I you know if if I had a pet again I don't even know what to call it not a pet theory but just a pet like gosh I hope this is the scenario scenario <laughs> it would have been that this you know this was the Mayans had set the the cosmic snooze alarm for when the aliens were coming back you know that this was going to signal their you know scrub the petri dish clean or something you know whatever but that's kind of what where i was leaning that if there was anything to it at all that that's what it was you know and so from that angle yeah kind of disappointed you know but at the same rate i'm I'm for I mean, it all depends. Is it Close Encounters aliens that all come out and go, that's, hello, brothers, or exactly. is it is it Mars Attacks aliens? Who's See, that's, yeah, that's where I was going is that, you know, I'm also firmly of the opinion that, well, for one, I'm firmly of the opinion that th they exist, but also I'm firmly of the opinion as I get older and, and, and kind of get more... I don't know, just kind of examine the whole thing that if there's anything to it at all, which I believe that there is, that, uh, yeah, they're not E.T. You know, they're... Um, I don't even know what a good compare... Because I'm trying to think, what has there ever been, like, a really good alien movie where... Um, you know, because it seems like all the evil alien movies are always, like, Alien or Predator or... Um, you know, like Mars Attacks or, or War of the Worlds, but I'm talking just more of like a, uh, you know, like what some people think the whole deal is where they're coming down here and just messing with us, you know, and just, you know, it's a whole sinister... Yeah, they're kind of like, like space it, Nazis. 
Yeah, I mean, the closest thing, the closest comparison I can really think of is I, I don't know if you'll know what I'm talking about, but in in Mar in uh, DC Comics, there was a race called the Dominators. Do you remember those guys? No. Yeah. See, I, sounds I, I kinky. Somebody out there probably knows what I'm, what I'm talking about. I know Michael Bailey does because he's a big fan of uh, of a series that DC did in the. Uh... He's a big fan of the Dominators. It sounds like a punk rock. <sighs> oh. It's late. It's either late '80s or early '90s. It's right. It's in that post-Burn Man of Steel period of DC Comics. It was a series called. It was called Invasion, and it was like these uh, six. Yeah. Or eight, you know what I'm talking about? I, I remember that series. I've never read. You remember it. the poster that I used to have, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, because yeah, I end up giving that poster to Mike when I found out he was such a big fan of that series. But yeah, that's basically what it was. They were they were like the evil. Evil scientist aliens, I guess, you know, is the best way to describe them. That that's kind of what I think. Yeah, the the, the I, I think of them as the test tube aliens, the one who are the ones who right, like go yeah. down to like Mississippi and get themselves like a Bubba wife and like take her. Then they took my eggs out of me and made a space embryo. You know that sort of thing, <laughs> right? Oh, I don't know how I got off on all that. Anyway, that was a long-winded way of saying. Uh, <laughs> That's what she I'm said. I'm sorry the world didn't end, and I really enjoyed your your uh, episode about that. Well, my but... episode wouldn't have come out if. Uh... <laughs> this is true. Uh, uh, yes, it's it's Star Wars Monthly Monday. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um. Well, let's see if we can steer this a little more Star Warsy. I, I wanted to talk about Christmas, and. Uh, did, now, did you get anything for Christmas? And specifically, did you get anything Star no. Wars for Christmas? <laughs> no and no. <laughs> oh. Christmas was a success this year. It I was... don't know how you rate that as a success, but okay. But I d uh, guess what? Guess how many presents I had to buy for Christmas this year. <laughs> exactly. I know how many I got from you, you prick. Exactly. The same, well, as, the same as I got from you. Yeah, I, was, I, was, I was hoping you weren't going to realize that, but I realized it as soon as I said it. Um, well, hey, I still got a massive pile of, of junk to send you here eventually, just as soon as I ever... Yeah, you could mail me my own shit. That would be awesome. <laughs> that reminds me of the Little Rascals where they were like... One of their parents, it was his birthday, it was, you know, one of the guy, the fathers that gets all flustered with him, and it, Mr. Smith, and they would, like, give him presents, and they gave him a box, and he opened it up, and his cat came out, and he's like, oh, lovely, my own cat. <laughs> well, I got a few things for Christmas. I mean, typically my wife and I don't really buy Christmas presents for each other because we really try to concentrate on the boys, you know, and as, as they get older, of course, they're presents are getting more and more expensive but we got a few things for each other but uh for me it was uh it was a star wars christmas because uh one of the big things i got the thing i was really excited about and of course i knew i was getting it because i picked it out myself but uh you remember oh gosh i'm trying to think this is about a year and a half yeah it was because it was right before Star Tours reopened in the in the new incarnation that exists now. There was that great video that was going all over the internet. It was uh, Darth Vader goes to Disneyland. Mm -hmm. I remember, remember that. that. And he goes there to ride Star Tours, and Star Tours hadn't opened yet. So then he like goes on a tour of the park, and he's riding like you know the, the like I don't know if he rode the teacups, but like Dumbo and he stuff. He rides Dumbo for sure. Yeah. 
Well, there's this great T-shirt. It was at the gift shop for Star Tours, you know, the gift shop that Star Tours empties out into, the Tatooine Traders. And I saw this shirt um, a couple months ago, and I wanted it so bad. And my wife got it for me for Christmas. And it's a, a postcard. It's like a snapshot and it's it's made like a postcard and it's got a stamp on the up in the right corner it says uh galactic imperial postal service stamp on it and it's a picture of darth vader riding a carousel so he's sitting on a carousel horse and he's riding the carousel and there's a stormtrooper standing there like standing guard and everybody else is just like your your average tourist so it's really it's it's just funny to see vader riding this carousel horse and the stormtrooper and then underneath it, Vader's quoted from the original Star Wars where he says, this will be a day long remembered. And I just saw that shirt and just thought it was great because it took me right back to that Darth Vader goes to Disneyland video um, from a while back. So that was uh, that was one of my presents from my wife. I just thought that was great. Um, got a couple other different things, but the the big thing, the, the truly awesome uh, Christmas present this year was listener and good friend of ours and uh co-host of the uh oh, i never get this name right what is it the startling ah uh, what's your show it's the, the, Star- the vault, vault of startling, startling monster, monster horror, horror tales of terror that's it <laughs> luke jacanetti sent me something that i had talked about a while back as a, as a matter of fact as soon as that show went up that month where i talked about this I got a message from Luke saying, hey, do you want that? I'll send it to you. And I was like, all right, (laughs) I'm not going to argue with you. So for Christmas, I received the art of Star Wars comics, uh, 16-month 2013 oversized calendar in the mail. And this thing is awesome. I love it. It is so cool. Now here's here's my turn to stroke your ego. Have you lost weight? Because you look skinnier in that picture. <laughs> well, I like to think so, but I don't know. You know, as people have been saying, you know, you're not the only one that has said that. You've got you. You're getting you're getting your old Jughead face back instead of the <laughs> the round gardener face. I, I mean, I've been trying to <laughs> stuff, but I. Aren't I, don't I a know. master of flattery? <laughs> you are. This calendar is really awesome. What's cool is, uh, you know, if you get a chance to to look at this thing. It shows, um, you know, the 12 months on the back, so you get a chance to see what the different pictures are. Because it, it says here, where is it? Okay, so on the front, up in the corner, it says includes 13 exclusive posters. But when you look at the back of it, it's only showing the 12 months. So I was like, all right, well, what is the 13th picture? Well, when you open it up, the, uh, the final four months of... 2012 are all on one page and the picture for that one is from star wars number five and that's the one where it's uh hurry chewbacca we're being attacked by the death star and the death star is like floating up in the sky taking chunks out of the rebel yeah with like stormtroopers like manning guns like on a pirate ship no 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 this is this is a different well you can't see them it's but it's got like guns sticking out of the side and it's like actually like shooting at the planet with laser beams right yeah it is a great picture though because, uh-huh. uh, it's hoberg and uh, and dave cochran but it's great it's han solo's going it's too late kid 
we're finished. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> but the other ones, I mean, they're all really good. The one for uh, for this month for January is the uh, the famous uh, Darth Vader with the with the Nazi helmet. It's like Nazi helmet Darth Vader. I like that one. Mm-hmm. Now, if you don't know what we're talking about, you got to go back and listen to whichever episode we talked about That's Star the Wars. Crying C three PO issue, isn't it? Yes, it is. That was issue. Okay, so it's issue eighty. But see, the, with the position of the of the A in the word wars is the A is right over Vader's head, so it makes it look like he has a spike on the top of his helmet. So he does. He looks like he's wearing like a like a Nazi helmet or something. It's really cool helmet. Yeah. Um. Let's see the An other stormtrooper helmet. But the other pictures in here, you've got uh, number eleven, which. Uh, one of my absolute favorite issues. That's the one where Luke and R2 and 3PO are on the sinking ship and Luke's shooting his blaster at uh, at one of those big like water dinosaur things, whatever they were called. I forget what they were called. Those big sea serpent things. Mm-hmm. I think that's a Gil Kane cover, if I'm not mistaken. Marvel Special Edition number two, which is one of those giant oversized books great cover on this one i know tony dizaniga does something to do with the art uh, maybe the inking i don't maybe he did the whole cover himself i'm not sure but i know i can definitely see uh Dizuniga in there but it's really really good um number seven which is han and chewy that's the beginning of the uh aduba stories yeah uh, star wars number one of course and i like this because they didn't recolor it it's green helmeted darth vader it's it's uh, han wearing his orange uh, shirt and and purple blaster and, <laughs> and and Ben have red lightsabers. So it's all the original coloring, which is really cool. Um, the Return to Tatooine cover number thirty one, where Luke and the droids are hiding underneath that outcropping, and the patrol Dubak standing on the ridge above them. I love that one. The Empire Strikes, which I think is number the numbers are so small. Number eighteen, yeah, number eighteen. Number 39, which was the first chapter of uh, The Empire Strikes Back of, you know, Vader with the Star Destroyer in the background on the cover. Number 24, Ben Kenobi fights alone. That's that flashback story to young Ben during the, I don't know if it's during the Clone Wars necessarily, but, you know, it's pre, it's supposed to be like pre-Empire days, that sort of thing. Marvel Special Edition number one which uh, this is the same kind of, you know, it's a big oversized thing, but it's the same artwork that was used on that little black paperback, that black and white paperback right. when I had when we were kids. It's sort of a take on the poster. Mm-hmm. Number 52, which is that great, great Simonson cover of Vader's prototype ship shooting at the Millennium Falcon while in the, in the background Vader's doing kind of like a Doctor Doom, like hoo ha with his hands up in the air type of mm-hmm. thing. It's all like yellow, and it's like he's underlit, like like how people tell scary stories around a campfire or something, and they, like they shine the flashlight under them. It looks like that's what Vader's doing because he's all like underlit, so he's even spookier looking. And then the only one in this whole um, arrangement that I kind of scratched my head over and was like, well, you know, it's a good cover, but why this one was number um, 65 it's Golrath Never Forgets now this is the one where Leia is in the foreground and behind her 
that Imperial, I can't remember what his name was, that big fat Imperial commander guy is tracking her down. And they both got like their blasters. It's like they're having a like a chase, like a duel type of thing. And she's got her blaster drawn. He's got his blaster drawn. And in the background, it's saying something about the reactors going critical. It's a great cover. It's a... Um, this is either Simonson and Palmer or Friends and Palmer. I'm not sure. I think it's Simonson and Palmer. Like, like I say, it's a great cover. Just one of those that kind of made me go, hmm, I wonder why that one, because there's a lot of other covers I think are, are, are better than that. I would love to, to see like the cover to like Cliff or, uh, or like the first Valance story or something. I'm hoping, though, that this is just the first of many yet to come. Luke and I mean, the TIE Fighter shooting Shira Bry. Yeah, yeah, that would have been a really, really good one. But I am so pleased with this, so happy. What's funny, too, is that the only alteration they have made is the same alteration that they make with these things when they're reprinted by Dark Horse, where they took the reference to Marvel off of the cover. But then again, now that I think about it, the two covers that they reprinted for Marvel Special Edition 1 and 2, they say in the banner, Marvel Special Edition. They didn't remove that, whereas all of the regular issues where it would be bannered across the top Marvel Comics group, they've all been removed. So that's odd. It's a very well, odd... Well, because maybe the Marvel Special Edition is the title of the comic, so... Right. But it's still just a banner at the top that they could have blotted out but they didn't. It's, right. Well, maybe just, they wanted to leave the title. Maybe there was something in the copyright where the title of the comic has to be on there, but they uh, didn't want the the you know the letterhead of Marvel or the, you know the the right. imprint of Marvel on it for something. That could be. Yeah. Nowhere on here do I see Marvel mentioned. You know, as far as like you know copyright nineteen seven right. or whatever. There's no reference to Marvel. It's not called the art of Marvel Star Wars. It's right. just called Star Wars comics, but it's really neat. And of course the front cover to this is a piece of art in its, in its own right. It's uh, I think this is Dave Cockrum, if I'm not mistaken, but it's from, I want to say this is the back cover, I believe to one of those giant, you know, Marvel. Is it where they're like comics. swinging across and no, this, this one's the one where, all right, um, you got basically it's the whole gang. You've got Luke, Han, Chewie, the droids, and actually Ben Kenobi in a green bathrobe. And then standing above them is Leia, looking much like she does in the uh, the throne room part. But she's got this giant flowing red cape, mm -hmm. like a big like Thor cape. You know the you know the picture I I'm know talking what you're about. Talking about yeah. Yeah, I think this was the back cover to. Um, one of those special editions. I, I can't remember which one. I want to say number two, I think. I'm not sure. But uh, but anyway, if you get a chance to pick this up, you know, if you're a fan of, of the material that we cover here, you know, the Marvel Star Wars comics and all that, and you love this art and you have nostalgic memories of, of this sort of thing, definitely pick it up. It is well worth it. It is really, really nice. And of course, uh, you know, now that the year has kicked over, I imagine that these calendars are probably dropping. You know, I think, you know, calendars typically drop in price. Yeah. But in my area, I, I never saw the thing. It never came around. So, um, I, you know, 
doubly glad that uh, that I got this from Luke because I, if I had missed out on it, I would have just been heartbroken because, man, I've waited for something like this for a long, long time. There's so many of these pieces of art in this thing that I've always wanted to have as a, either as a poster or a T-shirt or both. And it's really nice to have, you know, so many of these classic covers, especially something like number 11, which just... You know, I don't know what it is about that issue. Maybe it's, I think that was one of the first issues I ever got of the series. Um, and I just love it, you know, just have strong sentimental attachment to it. So it's really nice. It's uh, it's hanging right on my wall, special place of honor. So uh, again, thank you to, to Luca. I think this is really, really great. Um, Gosh, I'm not sure where to go from here. I got so many notes on this thing before we get going. Have you got anything? I don't want to dominate the whole uh, opener of the show here. Uh, not really. Uh, mo- most of my uh, my Star Wars has been a negative balance. I've been sending stuff out. Most <laughs> most notably, uh, I sold the uh, Imperial Shuttle and the Ewok Village. Ah. Which gets the price? Yeah, they both did okay. But not spectacularly. But they both did okay. The um, Ewok Village ended up going to some kid in France. Wow! And he just wrote me today and said it got there. His dad picked it up and said the box looks okay, so he's gonna open it up and he's all excited about it. So I was asking. Oh, was it? Was it unopened? No, the box that I sent it in. It, oh, w- it was in its box. I had the Ewok Village box, but it was definitely opened and. Uh, held together with tape and it was like an ewok village and a half i had some extra pieces because i picked up like half an ewok village basically just the base of an ewok village at a, at a garage sale and i just threw it together with this because what the hell i don't know what you do with one and a half ewok villages but yeah i wrote i said are you a star wars collector i'm gonna i'm gonna try and like see if i can get some kids in france listening to the podcast you know what i'm saying <laughs> And he even got mentioned. <laughs> Although I won't mention his name because I haven't asked him if I could mention his name. He's just some eBay guy, but kid. <laughs> I heard about something. I wish I could give credit where credit's due. I can't remember who clued me in on this, but something I'm, I'm keeping an eye out for is uh, a book that somebody just clued me in about ta- called uh, The Star Wars, uh, The Essential Reader's Companion. And it sounds like this is what I need. It's, um, do you remember this book that came out? Oh gosh, I'm not sure how old it is now. Maybe 10 years ago. It was within, I would say it was in the last, you know, within the last 10 years. It was this big book. I'm not sure if it was published by Dark Horse, but it it pertained to the Dark Horse um, Star Wars comics. And it was basically, it was a timeline mm-hmm. that went right from the earliest stuff right up to the current yes, stuff. Have that, I think every... I've seen that book when I was at your house. Yeah, yeah, I have Yeah, I have a copy of it. And it was like little, like, synopses of the stories contained therein. Um, and, you know, and who wrote it, were. who drew it, what characters were in it, and what important things happened in it. Um, any little continuity gaffes or tweaks that had, you know, retro, you know, been made retroactively, that sort of thing. And it was like, basically, it would give you everything you needed to know about that story, and you didn't have to actually read it. 
that's what I'm led to believe this uh, Star Wars Essential Reader's Companion is. This is all about the novel EU. It does the same thing with that that this other book did for the Dark Horse material, the comic book material. I really want to check this book out because it sounds like it's right up my alley for the project that I've been you know, very slowly working on. So where I could actually look at it and see, you know, what is this story? Who's in it? What's it about? What's its relevance? And do I feel like investing the time to read it? Because I got to be honest, I have badly, badly stalled out on that project. I'm, you know, it kills me that I've spent so Well, it might so not be much... something you can plug along with consistently. You might have to take a time right. out here and there. Read five well, Star Trek books. <laughs> Yeah, I, I've actually switched gears and I'm, I'm catching up on comics and back issue magazine and that sort of thing. Um, switch back to reading. I actually switched back to reading some Star Trek for a while, um, but I'm going to be talking about that next week when next we week. do uh, Star Trek. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely uh, I'm, I'm on the lookout for uh, for a cheap copy of that book. So. Um, also, speaking of Star Wars and gifts, and I guess this could kind of sort of qualify as a, uh, as a Christmas present of sorts. Um, not long before Christmas. I'm trying to remember exactly when this Did was. Did it arrive in December? It was... Oh, my God. I can't believe I forgot exactly when it was. It was like I think it, it was like a few weeks ago. Yeah, it was a while ago. Our uh, our mutual new friend Scott Rifen and his family were down here. At, uh, they were vacationing for uh, a few days at Walt Disney World, and uh, I had the occasion to meet up with them very late at night over at the um, Saratoga Springs Resort, which I'd actually never been there. Which uh, you know, it's always a delight for me when I get to you know experience a whole new thing at Disney that I've never done before because it's becoming <laughs> less and less uh, you know frequent that there's something new there for me. I've I've really made an effort to to go everywhere and see everything, but uh, I'd never been over there, so I thought that was really cool. Anyway, it was really late at night. By the time I got you know I got out of work and got over to where they were staying, and. Uh, so I really expected it would be kind of a just, you know, quick handshake. You know, we talked for a few minutes and, well, you know, I, I knew that they had to get up early the next morning to get on the road kind of thing. So, you know, it was, I, I really and, you know, really expected it would just be a few minutes. The next thing I know, he and I had talked for, I want to say, like three, four hours. It was getting late. And, uh, and I started to think about, oh, you know, I still got that hour drive home, you know. But it was awesome. We, I really wish I had had the foresight to remember that I had my recorder in my pocket, you know, and recorded the conversation because we had a great, great, just hanging out, geeking out conversation that ranged all over the place, you know, from Star Wars to Marvel to just everything in between. Scott is just a hell of a nice guy and so knowledgeable in in you know everything geeky that we're into and uh, I really want to try to get him back on the show um, to hang out with us. Uh, I know that he is considering um, getting into the world of podcasting. 
uh, with some buddies of his, but I'd still like to try to get him back, you know, regularly or semi-regularly, you know, as often as his schedule permits. Um, and also, you know, in, in his in his real life job, you know, he's an actual uh, uh, radio. Um, I think he described himself as a disc jockey, but what he actually does isn't really a disc jockey at all. It's more like uh, it's a morning guy, right? Uh, yeah, he's he, well. He was doing morning drive time. I'm not sure if he's still doing that, but it's now he's uh, what am what am I trying to think of? Talk like a talk show host. So I mean, he definitely knows things about you know, of course, the radio side of it, but it, it pertains to you know what we try to do, you know, with with the show and everything. So I know that he, you know, I would think that he would have you know insight and that sort of thing. But more than anything, I was just really. Uh, fascinated with the conversation that we were having and, and would like to try to, you know, carry that forward. But the thing that kind of that kind of spurred our, our little get together was that, you know, he had shot me a message, you know, saying, you know, I'm here, I'm on property and uh, and I got something for you. So let's get together. And what he had for me was if you if you've been following our conversations on Facebook, you know, our public conversations on Facebook You'll know that, uh, you know, through discovering uh, Two True Freaks and especially through discovering uh, Star Wars Monthly Monday and having attended our panel at um, Star Wars Celebration a few months back, Scott got hooked on collecting the Marvel UK version of Marvel Star Wars comics. He's He's been buying them up feverishly and, uh, and building a collection. Yeah, he just used us as an excuse. He was he was just waiting to do it. He knew he had to do it eventually. Well, I had uh, I had shot him a message not long ago saying, you know, hey, you know, by the way, if you happen to you know come across any doubles, you know, as you're buying these collections up, you know, I'd definitely be interested. I certainly didn't mean, you know, uh, you know, just hey, give me your doubles. But that's just what he did. You know, we got together and he just handed me a big old stack of doubles. And I'm completely blown away by these because they're awesome. They are so nice. And uh, they're almost all very early issues of the series. And so as we were talking and I was flipping through these, I got to realizing that, yes, they do reprint the American material. Like the one I'm looking at right now, this is Star Wars Weekly number 15, has a great cover of Sasquatch Chewbacca knocking the daylights out of this alien. It's from the Aduba 3 storyline. This is the it actually reprints the issue that starts out. It's called 8 for Aduba 3 with uh, with art by Howard Chaikin and, uh, and Tom Palmer. I think this was the first. Yeah, it does. It says right here, joining, uh, join in welcoming aboard Tom Palmer. So this was the first Palmer inked uh, uh, issue. But I was noticing that there's kind of a recap page um, right in the beginning of the book. And as we were looking through these, we both got to realizing that th these recaps, whoever drew them and they're not credited, really tried to capture the, the style of the artist on the main part of the story. Um, not always completely successfully, but these recap pages are exclusive to this version of Marvel Star Wars. So... I mean, this is a whole new reason to collect them right here, just because these recaps are new original yeah. material. 
And I think that's really cool. I had no idea that that was in there. Um, backup feature here in number 15 is Star-Lord by Chris Claremont and John Byrne. And dude, just like that Indiana Jones material I was raving about a while ago in Marvel Star Wars, you know, seeing Byrne's Star-Lord in this oversized stark black and white is just awesome. It's so pretty. But the backup features in these are, are just as cool as the Star Wars yep. stuff. You know, you got like Tales of the Watcher and stuff like that. I love this cover to number 28. It's uh, it's from that Waterworld story. You've got Luke swinging down at Quarg or whatever that dude's name, you know, the big fat leader guy. Right, the Captain Ahab style guy. I mean, he is swinging down and totally exposing his junk to, to the governor while Leia's doing like the twist or something in the, it's, it's hysterical. This is the most awkward cover on this thing. But uh, again, you know, the, the art's just fantastic. I love seeing this stuff in black and white. It is really, really fantastic. Um, 43 reprints, uh, again, that uh, Obi-Wan, whatever the name of that story was, Obi-Wan Alone or whatever, um, you know, the young Obi-Wan mm -hmm. story. A lot of original covers to this, which that's really nice to see. Um, they actually split the Obi-Wan story over a couple of different issues, so the second part of it has a completely original cover. Um, number 53 which has an original cover, but then the interior reprints Star Wars number 25 uh, by Infantino and Gene Day. That's the one that has the, the TIE fighters swooping down out of the out of the sky over the fourth moon of Yavin and shooting down like that observation mm -hmm. tower and stuff. Beautiful art in that issue. Love it. You got Golden, Mike Golden, Micronauts as a backup feature in there. Um, Adam Warlock. I mean, just I, I was just completely blown away, you know, blown away by this stuff. Really, really nice. Crazy cover with uh, Baron Tag that, again, is an original cover. And I don't know who the artist is on this, but Luke looks hysterically. He's going, yee! Try <laughs> Infantino. It's great. And uh, number 59 is an Infantino cover inked by McLeod. So this is one of those McLeod ones he was telling us about in that uh, in that interview uh, that we had with him a while ago. A Tony DiZaniga cover of... Uh, I know this is supposed to be Han Solo, but he looks more like Michael York. And then Chewie is definitely a Sasquatch in this picture. It's really great. <laughs> I mean, just the covers. Of, you know, I scanned all these and put them up on Facebook. So if you guys want to see, you know, some some Star Wars art, you know, especially from the early, early days of, of Marvel Star Wars, but just some Star Wars art that you've probably never seen before. If all you're familiar with is the American stuff, then uh, then go take a look, because I love this. I it, You know, it, it's so nice to be able to go back and and re-examine this material but you're getting a, a new slant and a, and a little bit of new material with you know just these original covers it, I, I love this I think it's really really nice and uh, there was an announcement made not long ago that uh, a lot of this stuff there is actually going to be another um, omnibus 
put out from Dark Horse, which is going to touch on all this rare material that, uh, you know. It hasn't come out yet, though. It's it hasn't out. come out yet. It's coming. Yeah, it's coming pretty soon. So I'm very excited about that. And I was really excited um, about the news that um, I guess uh, I guess it would be Disney. Disney kind of ended the deal with with Dark Horse. So whatever they're publishing now and whatever was already in the queue for them to be publishing here in the next little while. That's it. That's basically going to be it. Yeah. And uh, it looks like the the rights for Star Wars are going to revert back to you know, parent company Disney, who also owns Marvel. So it looks very likely that sometime in the future, and we're probably talking about like 2015, 2016, something like that, that uh, that Marvel will resume publishing Star Wars. I now, wouldn't I think would it would be any later than 2015. I would imagine yeah, it would probably link up with the yeah. new movies or come just before them. Now, see, I was, uh, you know, naturally I'm elated by this news. And there were some legitimate things that people said. I think Michael Bailey was the one that pointed out that, look, you know, don't don't get yourself too worked up over this because, you know, he, he knows me well enough to know that I, I have a natural tendency. They're not to calling get... up Carmen Infantino or, or, exactly. or yeah. um, they're not calling up uh, Cynthia Martin and going, hey, right. you want to pick up where you left off? At least we don't, exactly. pr- the, the, you know, I'm probably yeah. not doing that. We don't know what's going on. I understand that, you know, it, 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 from an intellectual standpoint, I, I definitely, I acknowledge that. I understand it's, that. It's going probably going it, to be more or less like the Dark Horse ones, is what I'm right. guessing. I I fully expect that it's going to be a completely new entity that they're not going to pick up in the next issue. It's going to be Star Wars, you know, Marvel Star Wars number one hundred eight. I, I I understand that, but I'm still excited. I still think it's awesome. Because I think having it all in-house is just, I think that's a fantastic thing. I think it bodes nothing but well for the future of Star Wars. And so I'm very excited about this. I I think it's a a wonderful thing. I can't wait for it. Now, I hope... I'm in the wait and see. Because I I understand, I think it was Chris Johnson might have mentioned, a couple people mentioned that like Dark Horse... There's sort of whole fine a lot that they make a lot of money from license right. having the license to Star Wars and are able to finance some of their lesser selling books that they wouldn't be able to have. So that you know, right. it might it might be really bad news for Dark Horse, and you know, people who are you know, I'm I'm not a fan of you know media conglomeration. You know, until I think we have six media companies now where there used to be hundreds, you know, and it's all five, it's five or six. I can't remember. And so, you know, you end up getting a more homogenized product, but that's like the large picture of it. But in, as far as star Wars goes, I agree with you. I think it's going to be in a star Wars context, which is what we're focusing on here. It's an overall positive, you know, and I think from, it, yeah, I think it is. And, you know, I mean, we're by, and from a totally, you know, point of view, I mean, we're, the, the Marvel Star Wars is so close to our hearts. And we've been spending years doing a podcast dedicated to Marvel Star Wars. So it's kind of gratifying to see it getting some attention these days. So Absolutely. who knows? Maybe they'll go, you know, maybe by the time 
Marvel starts making Star Wars comics, they'll feel that there's a, an urge from people to have stuff sort of in that vein. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Who knows? Yep. We'll Absolutely. find out. I'm excited just that there's new stuff to find out, you know, to anticipate and and find, for better or worse, you know, experience it happening. So that's very interesting. It's almost like one of those weird things of like, it's almost, it's hard for me to believe because it's almost like one of those um, um, pipe dreams that you and I, yeah, I'm sure you could probably go through one of our old Star Wars monthly mon Mondays and hear us going, wouldn't it be great if, Mar I wonder what would happen if Marvel did Star Wars again, you know? So, and there, and there you have it. It was sort of like maybe when the Traveling Wilburys got together and I was in high school and I'm like, really, all my favorite artists in the world are now in a band? What, what did I do right? <laughs> definitely. I mean, that's definitely the way I feel about it. I mean, like I say, I, I, I realize it's not going to be the old guys, you know, coming back and, and it's a whole new regime and all that. But I just think just the simple fact that it's all going to be under one roof again, that sort of thing. I mean, look at all the the talk that we've had about, you know, the 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 hoops that the creators had to go through, you know, both, you know, not, and not just Star Wars, you know, Could Indiana Jones just get had like the Walt same. Simonson, that's all I ask. I, What's I Walt would Simonson think... doing these days. He's not that old, right? No. And I mean, I would think that, you know, it, it probably wouldn't start out right away with doing anything nostalgic as far as going back to the original series. But my hope is that if it's successful enough and, and they want to branch out and they want to franchise it where there's just, you know, there's more than just, you know, one ongoing or something or a string of miniseries right. or something like Dark Horse has been doing. That if they can make it big enough, especially with a whole new um, trilogy coming out, if they can support it, I could see there being a, you know, a title, a Star Wars title that would be, you know, uh, getting back, you know, some of the old creators or mm -hmm. old creative teams or maybe even old storylines, that sort of thing. I can I could definitely see that sort of thing happening. So yeah, I, I'm excited. I, I really am excited about the whole thing and uh, and very curious to see you know where it's gonna go. I'm very excited but, to the day when I'm gonna go to the comic shop and pick up a Marvel Star Wars off the the rack. That'll be a great day. Hopefully, it'll, it'll be a great day. Hopefully, when I crack it open, it'll be an even greater day. But it'll be a great <laughs> day just going and buying a Marvel Star Wars comic. Definitely, definitely. I'll probably have a flashback as I'm at, and and you and and it's funny because you can picture this because it's exact comics etc is exactly the same as when you used to live here and go there. Really? And the guy who works by the guy who owns it and works behind the desk is exactly the same guy. And uh, so you know, you can you can see me walking up to the 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 desk with the, with my Star Wars comic, and then you can see me flashing back to the cigar shop, you know, with the with the probably drunk guy behind <laughs> the counter selling us our Star Wars comics. It'll be awesome. It'll be like it'll be like when I was in line for Episode One, sitting there going, "Somebody kick me in the head," because. I keep thinking that I'm standing in line for the new Star Wars movie. 
And then I'll be standing in line for the new Star Wars movie, too. We are guaranteed a job. <laughs> also, speaking of uh, of Disney and Star Wars, uh, the, we, the uh, dates for Star Wars weekends for 2013 uh, were announced. So uh, it's going to take place every Friday, Saturday, and Sunday from May 17th through June 9th, 2013. Uh, no discussion yet of, uh, you know, who the, uh, the celebrities will be that sort of thing. But, uh, both James Arnold Taylor and Ashley Eckstein, uh, will be returning as the hosts, but, uh, I'm really excited about this. Cause of course, now that star Wars, is, you know, and Lucasfilm in general are, are actually officially a part of the Disney, you know, corporation, then, uh, this could be a very special Star Wars weekends this year. It remains to be seen, you know, if anything uh, newer or bigger or anything like that will happen this year. But uh, again, I'm excited. I mean, I enjoy it anyway. So, you know, just the fact that it's, you know, it's Star Wars and in, in a theme park environment. But uh, I'll be very, very interested, very curious to see, um, you know what happens now that that uh, that relationship has been you know officially solidified. So expect coverage, uh, you know, on this show of uh, of Star Wars weekends this year, most definitely. But uh, anybody out there that's uh, that's planning on attending, you know, get a hold of me. Maybe we can uh, see about uh, getting together during this thing. Lastly, but most importantly, I would say is. Uh, feedback email we got emails for Uh the show just a couple of them this time around but i definitely want to make sure that we get to these in a timely fashion we've solicited them i promised we'd get to them and we're gonna do it so this first one is from our buddy jonathan kreitz and this one is in reference to star wars monthly monday number 44 he says hey freaks he says i like to post my thoughts on new episodes on the forum, but since you asked for email, I'm going to start writing in. Well, thank you. He says, I really enjoyed hearing Scott's review of the novel uh, Death Star. So this is one of the uh, two or three EU novels what? that I actually... What? Oh, I thought you said Death Star. <laughs> this is one of the two or three EU novels that I actually haven't read, and your review makes me want to make it a priority. It came out at a time when I was very busy, plus the subject matter wasn't very interesting. Now that I've read Reeve's other works, I uh, am definitely going to give it a try. It sounds similar to James Lucino's novel Millennium Falcon, which is set later in the EU timeline. You know what? Have I read this one? I don't know. This one sounds familiar. All right, I'll just keep going. (laughs) He says, uh, I don't think it was a mistake to skip the Force Unleashed novels. They are secondary in my take on the EU anyways. Uh, There was actually an EU novel announcement today that piqued my interest. John Jackson Miller is writing a post-Revenge of the Sith Obi-Wan novel. And uh, he says the teaser art is awesome. He supplied a link. I'm almost positive I've read this email on the show before. So... If I have, you guys... No, this email's just been around for a while. We've read a lot of emails, but this is like one of the earlier ones of the emails we've been catching up on. Because you you weren't here for the last Star Wars Monthly Monday, so... It sure sounds familiar. Anyway, he supplied a link, which which I went to, and yes, this novel does look very, very cool. Because it's a post... 
episode three Obi-Wan novel. And uh, that's a period of Star Wars that I'm very, I've always been very curious about. So uh, I'm looking forward to that. Says uh, good work on ongoing coverage of old Marvel Star Wars and indie stuff. Looking forward to what comes next. And that's from Jonathan Christ. He says, P.S. Says Honeywell uh, needs to think up a way to internet market his garage selling adventures. Maybe a YouTube channel. I'm telling you, dude, we've covered this email. I know that we have because I remember us having a discussion about that. We have covered that email before, but that's all right because our other email for this month is also from Jonathan Kreitz. And this one is about uh, Star Wars Monthly Monday number 45, the next issue. This one I'm pretty sure we have not covered before. He says, hey, freaks, thanks for reading my email on the show. His last name is Kreitz, as in rhymes with kites. See, this is where I got the proper pronunciation guide for his name. I'm sorry we butchered your name so many times before, Jonathan. He says, I have heard every possible variation on it, so no worries. Uh, I've started emailing uh, for most of your episodes and hopefully we'll continue going forward. Well, I hope so too, because I'm enjoying them very much. Says, I don't have too much on the last episode other than it was cool to hear y'all's passion for these three issues of Marvel Star Wars. Good stuff. Well, I wish I could remember what three issues they were because I have no idea. <laughs> 45 would have been, let's see, last time around you guys did what? 97 and 98? Yeah. So it would have been so that would have 96 been and 90... 95. 95, 96. Yeah. And the Indiana Jones issue. Yeah, okay. Yep. Uh, says, also, I think I said this on the forum, but you can definitely read the EU out of order. He says, heck, when I got into the mid, uh, when I got into it in the mid '90s, it was published out of order and uh, is still published out of order. I say go for it if you want to. The only thing you may miss out on is recognition of minor character characters or oblique references to previous stories. Otherwise, just read what you want. Well, you know, I, I followed your advice on this and uh, and jumped basically pretty much to the end of the story because after our coverage of the uh, Lumia uh, story and, and saga here, I was just itching for more of that character. And I knew that she came back, um, you know, years later in the, in the EU novels, whatever the name of that is, Legacy of the Force, I think is what it's called. So I dug into that first book. Um, I think it's called Betrayal. I'm working on it, but I got to be honest with you. It's still, it's the same old problem. It's just kind of dull. I mean, after about the first, I don't know, I, I, I'm not even sure how far I'm into it right now, but after the first couple of chapters that kind of caught me up to speed on what's going on and, you know, Han and Leia and Luke, you know, they're old now. They're like 50s or 60s in these stories. And even their kids are grown. Their kids are in their like their 30s or 40s or something. And I'm just like, once I realized who all the characters were and, and I'm up to speed on where you're at in the story then boredom just kind of set in again. I'm like, you know, I'm just, I'm just not feeling this. So I'm curious to keep going because I know that um, Lumia shows up in that novel at some point. So I'm, I'm going to read at least that far because I'm, I'm just dying for more of that character. We'll see beyond that point. We'll see. I, I tell you, there are a couple of things I like though. I do like um, Luke's, um, you know, interactions with, you know, with his wife, with Mara Jade and all that. Um, I, I, I do like that character a lot. So I like that relationship and how it's portrayed and that sort of thing. 
I like some of the new characters that are in there. I just wish it... Um, you know, there's just not any other way to say it. I just wish it felt more like Star Wars to me. It just feels like... I don't know, like a soap opera or something. It's just not... It just doesn't have that that fast-paced action punch of Star Wars to me. It's just a whole lot of talky, a whole lot of sitting around, a whole lot of politics. Episode and, one and, style. Yeah, it, you know, I hate to say it, but it is. It's a whole lot like, uh, it's a lot like the prequel trilogy. Now, you know that I'm not a prequel trilogy basher. I actually really like the prequel trilogy, but I will acknowledge the flaws that are there. I'm not blind to what other people are saying, you know, what their criticisms are. I have them myself. One of the criticisms I have about the prequel trilogy is it's awfully damn talky. There's a lot of intrigue and politics and, you know, that stuff's fine. I mean, the original trilogy had those too, and it, it annoys me that people don't seem to remember that. But not as it's much standing and talking or sitting and talking, you know. Exactly. It didn't bog down with it. That's the that's the difference. Is they they both both trilogies have it, but Star Wars had what it needed to propel the story, as opposed to that being the story. That's the big difference. And I find that with so many of these EU novels, that's the story is the political intrigue. And it's like you know, that might be good for a novel or two. It might even be good for a trilogy. I don't want that to be all there is. I want to see ships flying around and blowing stuff up and, and lightsaber fights and yeah, all the stuff story. that we think of. Vi- yeah, exactly. That we think of visually when we think of Star Wars. When I think of Star Wars, I don't think of Leia at the bargaining table with some aliens. You know, it's, that's I. That's just boring. And so many of these books are exactly that. Let's negotiate with this, you know, race of people or, you know, these bad guys or eh, enough already. Blow something up. But that's it for preamble. I know that that was a (laughs) bit of a preamble. I know that was a very long preamble. You know what? You guys said you miss me. (laughs) And so, you know, careful what you wish for. Exactly. You asked for it. So we're going to take a little break. And we're going to come back with issue 99 of Marvel 99er. Comics. 99. Uh. Got to sniff some more airplane glue. 
welcome to Star Wars Monthly Monday number <laughs> oh, 47. Please. Who are you trying to do? Give me a heart attack? Buddha! It's Star Wars <laughs> number... <laughs> it's Star Wars Monthly Monday number 77, 47. And there on the door handle was a bloody hook! This month we are doing... Star Wars number 99 on the brink of 100. And here to bring you a dazzling, mind bending synopsis. This is Scott Gardner. Yeah? Exactly. All right, so Marvel <laughs> Star Wars number 99. This is the uh, September 1985 cover dated issue. 65 cents was the original cover price. Now, I want to talk first about the corner box on this, because I, I like to point out the corner boxes. So the corner box in this one, this is the one that we've kind of gotten used to. It's uh, Han, uh, Princess Leia, and Luke Skywalker with uh, their blasters raised. This is uh, this is taken from some publicity still or something that they did for, uh, for The Empire Strikes Back, I'm pretty sure. Um, and, of course, Chewie's in the background kind of backing them up. Now, you know, Han is in his regular outfit. You know, with the vest and everything. Luke and Leia are actually dressed in their Hoth fatigues. But the, the funny thing to point out in this is that how Luke and Leia keep changing colors. So in this one, Luke pretty much looks like he should look. His, his outfit's basically all white. But Leia, even though it's her Hoth fatigues, her Hoth fatigues are actually colored red. And then there's blue highlights. It's like she's got blue boots blue uh pouches and pockets i just get a kick out of how the colors keep changing in this uh in this box up here i already t i took it as almost like they tried to put the colors of a uh, the orange you know x-wing jumpsuit you know yeah flight suit. yeah you're right i think one of them does color luke's outfit to be uh orange like like the flight suit that you're talking about and in at least one of those covers too but they didn't do it with this particular one but I know that I've seen the actual real-life photo that this artwork is based on. I just can't remember where, you know, exactly where. It may have been a trading card, I forget, but I've seen it somewhere. I think it was also in the Empire Storybook, the story of Empire Oh, Strikes you know, back. you. I think you're right. Might I have think been you're on right. the Life I, cover of it. I think the the background of that picture is I think they're actually in Echo Base mm -hmm. posing for the picture, mm -hmm. if I remember properly. So the, the cover proper depicts uh, this dark and kind of like evil-eyed looking Luke Skywalker. And he's holding back this, this little alien dude that I swear he's straight out of some Saturday morning cartoon. Han Solo is cradling the lifeless body of, uh, of their friend. And he's shouting, uh, if Lando dies, I'll destroy your planet. And there's this massive Alliance fleet looming in the sky above them. It's... Uh, it's an odd one, I gotta be honest, but I'll talk more it's about that It's something else, yep. Touch of the Goddess was written by Joe Duffy with art by Ron Friends and Sam Della Rosa, who uh, they also provided the cover on this. And we're going to be talking about Sam Della Rosa a little more later, too, because as it turns out, in a, in a nice bit of unplanned synergy, he was actually the inker on the Further Adventures of Indiana Jones issue that we'll be covering uh, later in this episode, which I, I thought that was pretty cool. And I gotta be honest, two completely different Sam Delarosas too, because 
I didn't care for the inks in this one. You would never know. You would never know. Side by side, you'd never know. It looks like the other, the Indiana. Well, we'll get into that. Yeah, we'll get into that. What's funny, too, is that, you know, this was later. This was like two years after the issue of Indy that we're going to cover. But it looks like Indy should be the natural progression of this guy's art, not the other way around. But again, we'll, we'll get into that. Rick Parker uh, was the uh, letterer on this one. Glennis, uh, Glennis, excuse me, Oliver. She'd gone back to her maiden name. Glennis Oliver uh, did the colors. Anne Nascenti was the uh, poor editor on this one, and more about that in a moment. Jim Shooter is the editor-in-chief. Now, uh, I want to make... I just want to say real quick, I want to do some... Basically, I want to steal something from another show. I'm not sure exactly where this originated. I first heard it uh, from Michael Bailey, and I'm not even sure which one of his shows uh, he, he if he originated this. Um, I'm not sure exactly which of his shows it originated on, but he often will address what he likes to call the future people, meaning people that are going to be listening to this episode way after um it's intended, you know, it's, it's original release date. So in, in other words, if you're listening to this, say, I don't know, six months from its original release or two years or 10 years or whatever, I'm talking to you because you're our future people. So you're, you're going to be privy to information that we're not privy to yet because we haven't recorded it. We haven't lived it. Um, you're going to discover something about this story. It takes place out of order. I, I, there's no other way to, to, to not spoil that. So I'm just going to spoil it right up front. So you may consider skipping ahead a couple of episodes and reading issue 101 before reading this one. And again, that'll become obvious here in just a few minutes. So for future people out there, if you want to read these issues in the order that they should have been published in, Read 101 before you read this one. <clears throat> okay, so anyway. The story begins, perched on a branch high in the treetops of the forest moon of Endor, Endor Luke Skywalker is, uh, he's kind of musing to himself, and he's interrupted by his friend Lando Calrissian, who asks the young Jedi what he's thinking about, and Kuro answers that he's thinking about, excuse me, Luke rather, <laughs> answers that he's thinking about Kuro. He feels responsible for the supposed death of his little fish friend. And remember, folks, this is comic books, and we never saw a body. No body. Just saying. Luke feels especially bad for Danny, the ever-horny Zeltron woman, who had apparently really fallen hard for the little Gil guy. And Luke notes that uh, she just hasn't been the same since they all came back from canoeing. I she stopped rubbing up and down on Luke's leg. <laughs> Lando says that uh, she's not the only unhappy Zeltron hanging around the Ewok playset because Leia's little boy band attaches, well, they're none too happy with the fact that Fen Shisa has joined up with the Alliance, and I have to give a big old yes for that because I love Fen Shisa. And since he's uh, joined up, he and Leia have been absolutely inseparable ever since. And, you know, the, the four Zeltron guys, they don't like this. They don't like this because Han doesn't like this. And they kind of idolize Han Solo. Han's really not cool with uh, with Fen Shisa. Quote, unquote, idolize. <laughs> right. 
Speaking of Han Solo, he is off on a mission with an old pal of his by the name of Bay. Now, Anacenti, you know, I'm just not going to pull any punches when it comes to this. She tries to mask her lousy handling of the less than triumphant return of Fenshaisa and the completely out of sequence first appearance of Han's childhood chum Bay by pointing out in a lousy editor's note of all things how issue 101 will quote unquote tell the tale of their arrival but let's call a spade a spade it's bad editing they give you a little bit of now granted they do give you a little bit of exposition I think to tell that you who he is was like is- packed in it's masking. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Very much so. I think somebody it feels very tacked in, but it, it's, it is. It, at least it, at least it, at least it doesn't leave you wondering why a night, like a member of the nineties X-Men is all of a sudden in star Wars. <laughs> That's a great way. I, I all through this, I kept trying to think who does What's this guy remind this guy? me of? Yeah. You, you're, you hit it right on the head. Yeah. That's exactly what he is. Yeah. So, you know, like I say, I just, I'm sorry, but I can't let Nan Nascenti off the hook for this one. It's, it's, I, I can't imagine. The only thing I can think of is that they realized that if, if they went in the proper order and it was 10, you know, the story of 101, and then this issue, then the big double sized issue wouldn't be number 100. And they wanted that big double sized issue for the, you know, the special 100th issue. That's the only thing I can think of behind this decision and i just think that that that's bad editing because it you know when we get to 101 it, you, you'll it'll make more sense i think anyway han bay and admiral akbar are on a mercy a mercy mission to the planet godo which i thought was a stupid name to save some little anime guys that I think look like a bad crossbreed between uh, Akira and the Bugaloos. The Bugaloos, <laughs> a little bit of, what was that, the Great Gazoo or whatever from the Flintstones? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, these guys, they're all dying of radiation poisoning in a, in a story plot development that I didn't think was explained very well. And, you know, seeing as how they are pretty much little anime characters, I personally found it really hard to sympathize with their plight. (laughs) That's just my prejudice talking. But, dude, they have uh, big eyes. It's like little puppy dogs and babies. No. So, after a whole lot of walking and talking... Han determines that these uh, little rejects from a Saturday morning uh, CBS lineup are actually, they're dying because somebody stole the space equivalent of the Shankara stones from Temple of Doom. And it's up to our Star Warrior heroes to set things right. So the items in question are actually the uh, the dancing goddess and the minstrel, those little statue things. Remember them from back in uh, in Marvel Star Wars number seventy nine. Yes, yes. Sivalinga. <laughs> <laughs> so, Luke and Han, they uh, they set out to have a, a chat with the now incarcerated Limo and Sanda. Now remember them; they were from Marvel Star Wars number eighty five. And uh, 
they're talking to these guys in an attempt to to ascertain the location of the minstrel statue. And after a little bit of haggling and everything, Han and Limo strike a bargain, and Limo tells our heroes where they can find the statue. But they're overheard by an interested third party. So meanwhile, Lando and Chewie return to the world of Stenos. And upon setting down on the uh, very tattooing-looking planet, they are immediately set upon by blaster-wielding aliens, and a firefight breaks out, and they get cornered in a doorway. At the same time, Luke and Han, they arrive at the place that Limo gave them as the location of the statue. I don't know if this is another planet or where they've gone to. It seems like they, they make these cuts very abruptly in this story. And, of course, they are set upon by blaster-wielding bad guys, too. Luke literally boots Han in the ass so that he doesn't get shot, which yep. I thought was funny, <laughs> and deflects the blaster bolts with his lightsaber. Eventually, the pair talk their way into the secret hideout. They convince the guys that they do know Limo, honest they do, and they are just given the minstrel without too much fuss or, you know, story logic. And <laughs> that's pretty much how that plays out. Oh, and the, uh, the interested third party, well, he shows up to relieve them of their prize and, uh, Han just shoots him dead in two panels. Well, and when he found out about it, he was just ahead at the corner of the panel anyway. So he really right. did like, you don't know who he is, what he is. He's just there and dead. But I mean, for, some, for no reason, no, yeah, there's he no. Adds, he adds no tension. He adds nothing to the story. Nothing. nothing. You could cut him out and you wouldn't have even missed him from the three panels that he's in. <laughs> so, back on Stenos, things is looking pretty bad for Chewie and Lando when somebody orders the shooters to stop. And uh, from what I can make out of the artwork here, it looks like hollering stop scared Lando and Chewie so bad that they actually fell into the street. I don't know. It's it's tough to tell, but that's what it looks like. So anyway, we see Lando uh, picking himself up, and he turns around and he says, You! And of course, you know, who else could it be but Captain Drebble? And, you know, this is the part of the story. You know, I, truth be told, I loved this part. This, you know... This is the best part of the story. This was the sure. best part of the story. It really was. So Drebble, he tells Lando that he's had a new leash on life. He, he's really gotten his act together, and it's ever since being recognized as a hero of the rebellion against the Empire. He's gained, uh, he's gained respect, admiration, and he's got self-confidence that he'd always lacked during his life. And, uh, you know, this, this statue has really helped him achieve everything that he's ever desired. It's all thanks to being rewarded by the Alliance and, and the physical embodiment of this newfound respect and importance that he that he's gotten and gained and that he feels is all from the prize that Lando presented to him, which was the dancing goddess. And so Treble asks him, well, by the way, he goes, what brings you here? And Lando says, um, your reward. I need it back. And, you know, I, I'm serious. I thought this was a really good moment of an otherwise... It made me feel bad for Drebble for two it seconds. It did. It really did. You know, this is... This, this, this is a, for guys 
statue. <laughs> he was a real prick until he had that statue. Right, exactly. All you had to do was pull the little thorn out of his hand or, you know, <laughs> little praise that daddy never gave him, and there you go. <laughs> I did. I, I think that Joe Duffy really did some beautiful work here, you know, showing us that, you know, these two guys, you know, they, they were once, they were bitter foes, and now they've come to kind of this common ground. You know, we... I think we can we can gather from this that, that I think Lando feels really bad for Drebel. You know, he feels badly about what he's got to do or what he's what he's trying to do. And he even admits to Drebel that he thought originally of just going there and just stealing the thing back or trying to cheat Drebel out of it. And but ultimately, he just couldn't do it. So he's it, just it comes simply, down to respect. But at that point, right. they both respect each other. And right. They they can communicate on an actual like human level. It's a real. It's a nice. It's a nice curveball from your expectations, and it's right. and it's a really complex and nice character moment in an otherwise lackluster. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. To say the least. Well, what I liked is that you're throwing a couple of curveballs in this scene because the you know the first one is that Lando just asked him flat out you know rather than try to go in and do something shady stealing it back or cheating Drebble or whatever he just asked him for it but what I really liked was you know Drebble and again I thought this was a really beautiful sequence we see him struggle with this because there's this nice little three panel framework where where first he looks like he's angry and then he has this really pained expression on his face that just kind of breaks my heart and then the third panel is kind of like a resolute look on his face. Yeah, because that's him him decide, him realizing, hey, this statue made me into a better person. And if I don't give it up, I'm going back to my prickish self. You know, I'll be my right. prickish self. So I have to give it up. It, yet it's the thing, you know, and it's just like it's it's one of those hard decisions. It's like Sophie's choice, man. <laughs> But I, I was amazed by this. I thought this was a beautiful piece of writing because it totally breaks the mold of these type of things. You know, it, it doesn't go where you think it's going to go. He just he comes to the hard decision and he just gives Lando the idol. And I, I, I love that he admits that he's gained what he needed from the idol and that Lando can have it with his blessing because he, he doesn't really need it anymore. He can let it go. And I, I thought that was just beautiful. I, I, think, I really, I think there's a, in these comics, there's a lot of good character moments with Lando. Cause maybe they had a little more freedom to play around right. with his characterization than they did with Han or Luke or Leia or something like that. So they could really like have some of these nice moments and not worry about it being, Something that we didn't, you know, Lando. Lando just had. Lando wasn't in the movies a lot, so you only know sort of just right. his character in broad strokes. So, yeah, that was something I was gonna say was that you know, Lando in the movies really, even after you know the end of the trilogy, he's still largely kind of a cipher. It's really you know the the bulk of what we ever gained about Lando really came from, from the comics, the comics and the that that three you know that trilogy of mm -hmm. novels, and that's pretty much it. So yeah, this really shaded in that character for us. Um, so anyway, back on Godo. <laughs> yeah, the gang's all here when uh, when Han and Lando 
put the idols back into their proper place and the space Akiras are saved and it's time for everybody to go home. But once they all get back in orbit and they're aboard the Falcon and everything, they're ready to leave. Lando suddenly comes down with radiation sickness and it turns out that nobody remembered to tell him that he needed to inoculate himself before <laughs> he went down to the planet. <laughs> Sorry about that. It's radiation. <laughs> so now Lando's dying and only that, that temple room where they put the idols into only this temple room can save him. And so they want to take him back down to the planet, but it turns out that the space secure is, you know, they're, they're pretty ungrateful little bastards. And, uh, the main, one of those guys that, that we kind of followed through this story, his name is uh, Fumio, which I just thought was goofy. It kind of reminded me of, uh, of Rufio from hook <laughs> Fumio. <laughs> He's, I don't know what he's supposed to be. He's like their liaison or something. Anyway, he refuses to let them come back down. And Han begs and pleads and everything. But Fumio says that, you know, he it's not his decision to make. He's not in charge. He's just following and enforcing the, the orders of the, the people that run the planet or whatever. So Han does, you know, the, the rational thing, what we would all do, and he orders the uh, the Alliance fleet to open fire on the capital <laughs> city say that. <laughs> in 10 seconds if Fumio doesn't comply. And the count actually gets as low as two before Fumio, who, uh, you know, I just want to remind Joe Duffy, she just said like three panels ago that he wasn't running the show. Suddenly, he's the one that has the power to yeah. say, oh, okay, all right, go ahead. So, uh, you, yeah, because Fumio had just filled his drawers, that's why. <laughs> <laughs> so the story resolves with Lando recovering, Fumio deciding that, you know, the sacred temple desecration thing wasn't really so bad, I guess. Akbar saying, oh, you crazy kids, and Han treating everyone out for ice cream. And that's Space ice cream. Space ice cream. So I have two words to start out this discussion. Uh oh. Rush job. Yes. Oh my god, yes. You can tell and, and here's where we're gonna get into the inking. When we when we do this Indiana Jones, the inking is meticulous. It's like the Terry Austin inking in the first couple mm-hmm. issues. I agree. This one is just like he just waved his hand over the paper and went scribble, scribble, scribble. And it's like everybody just had, it's like they they were like, all right, you have three days to draw this story. Yep. You know, and, and it shows. And I get this feeling that Fumio and his race, I have a feeling that for some reason, and this is all conjecture, I have done no research, <laughs> I have some reason reason to think that Cynthia Martin was supposed to draw this, and maybe Fumio was something. Maybe she'd sketched it. It's he's very Cynthia Martin character. You know, he 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 would look more at home in in a, in the Cynthia Martin context. But in here, he just looks ridiculous because it's traditionally drawn Star Wars, traditionally sketched Star Wars <laughs> style. With all of a sudden with a little anime guy. And for some reason I wanna say Fumio the Fire something. There was there was like a there was like a cartoon or something, so it might be a tribute to something that we don't that we don't know about that somebody somebody might. But it just it has that feel that something was up with with the lineup. 
and the Cynthia Martin couldn't draw it. They maybe they were like, we need you to to work on one hundred because it's a double size, right? So we'll get you know we'll get we'll 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 get these guys in in a hurry, and you know we want to get the deadline out because we want to get one hundred on its on its timetable. And it, it, you can tell, like the city, like when you see the city, it's it's there's no details on the buildings. Maybe that's what the buildings are supposed to be like, but that's awfully convenient, you know. Yeah, it's and and the story is sort of like trotting out of other characters. I did note that you were gonna. That it's too bad that this is a Star Wars comic and not a Star not Star Trek Monthly Monday, because. This is this is exactly the anti-space pacifism that you always argue for. And it's usually in Star Trek where you're like, oh, oh those yeah. ungrateful alien bastards, you know, I would just say, <laughs> okay. Okay, we just saved your ass and now you want to screw us? We'll just turn the Enterprise on you. And this is that exact situation. And just like Starfleet... <laughs> you know, Akbar is just like, oh well, you know, no cop, no crime, <laughs> <laughs> no, no harm done. So let's get out of here. Uh but yeah, the, some of the artwork, like I, it, if you go to the last page, is is like it looks like Chewbacca's been maybe you know sitting in front of his computer too long. He's getting like a couple, <laughs> couple extra chins there. But uh. See this. Yeah. This one starts uh, as far as the artwork goes. This one starts for me right on the cover. Oh, I, the cover's sloppy and it's it's hard to believe that this is Ron Friends. It's just that's why I'm thinking he didn't have much time. Yeah, I, I think he probably did some with like a, with a yeah l- with very little time. But this cover is just it's really ugly. The co- one of the worst things about it is the coloring, because the coloring is just bizarre. Pink. Remember yeah, it's we like kept about... abysmal pink. Yeah. I don't know if we, if it was me and Shaga was talking about was talking about this or or you and I that were talking about this, but with Cynthia Martin, Star Wars was taking a girly feel. Had a mm-hmm. female writer, female artist. Um, the color scheme was getting more pinks. I think it was Shag and I that were talking about this. There were, there were a lot of pinks and blues and pastel-y colors in it. Right. And one thing I noticed in in this one, when you get to the letter section, a lot of the letters are from girls. Yeah. And so there's a there's a lot of the girl, you know, there's a lot more of the girl's perspective being sort of shown in it. And I don't know if that was an early Lucasfilm directive, maybe that they were like, let's try to get more, you know, girls into into Star Wars too, or you know, interested in it. And I don't know if the, if as a conscious effort of that, which they seem to be doing, that they were including more of the girls' um, letters in it, and just making the letter section seem more girl centric, or more girls were actually writing in. I like to think that more girls were writing in. And they all have great things to say about Cynthia Martin. Mm-hmm. Someone actually said something like, "Did you kidnap her from Disney Animation?" Yeah, I saw that, like that. Yeah. yeah, I like that one. Um, but yeah, I mean, this cover—it's like, I mean, look at Han. 
it really looks like you could replace this word bubble or change the words in the word bubble and have it say, uh, if Lando dies, Han smash, you know, mm-hmm. it, it looks like the Hulk or something. It's just really freaky looking. Um, I do like the, uh, the opening splash page though of Luke up in the tree, but you know, right from the get go again, right with this first page, you can just feel the art is off in this one. And I, I like what you said about Rush Job because it, it really does define how this issue feels in the in the art. Is that it does? It feels very hurried. The coloring is bizarre, and I noticed that there's too much shadowing in the ink job. I mean, a <laughs> well, lot because that's probably faster to do. You know? Oh yeah, and but s- a lot of the art in this is where the the figure has just been completely inked black so that they're just a silhouette which yeah i'm sure really speeds up the process but then you're you're left with a very dark issue sometimes it works like there's a scene of of during the long walking and talking where you sort of see it from an alleyway and there's a you see the legs of a bum and they're sort of walking by we're just seen before luke kicks on in the ass (laughs) <laughs> and, and the scene under it where Luke kicks him in the ass, that sort of works, you know? It's got that sort of Frank Millery, Klaus Jansity sort of thing. But then the two frames under it just look crappy, you know? They look like a Charlton, yeah. Charlton comic or something like that, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, obviously something was up and, and someone was in a hurry and, and someone was spinning their wheels and, you know, and the story was... The story was very much like get all your action figures out from the last few ep- episodes <laughs> and get them all, you know, especially Fenshisa. All the story with Fenshisa was fake drama with the with, you know, the you know, her 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 boy toys being concerned that he was going to sweep her off her feet away from Han Solo and all that. But Fenshisa is basically like an action figure that they've just sort of stuck in Yep. Into the whole thing. It's like, hey, Fenshaisa, well, how are you doing? That uh, Good. Hey, Princess I'd... Leia. And like, okay, stick him in a spaceship now. Everybody ready? Fenshaisa's ready, you know? Yeah. And that's. I'll tell you what, though. I, I still love it the same way I loved it when I was a kid, though. Just seeing him show up. And I like this because. Well, it's again, like they've I... got him in place for something he's going to do in the future. It, right. They, they've got his action figure there. And sometime in the future, he's going to be in the story, but they had to get him there. So he's just sort of there and and drawn poor, poorly, too. <laughs> he looks like a bad action figure, actually. He looks to me just like that Skyhopper pilot that we saw Herb Trimpey draw way back in number 17 <laughs> flying in Beggar's Canyon. He looks exactly like that same guy. But I like his outfit though, because his outfit—it's it's basically an orange jumpsuit with, you know, completely white Mandalorian armor. That looks sharp. I'd love to see. I'd like to cosplay as that, or see somebody cosplay as that. I think that that looks really cool. But again, I think it's—I think it's the coloring. I think it's a bad coloring job. But in this instance, it actually works to the benefit of the character it looks cool so i don't think we'll see that again i think the next time we see him he'll be in regular mandalorian you know like greens and stuff so once again there's no page numbers but if you see the page where where lando keels over where they're on the falcon and and lando keels over Uh uh-huh the the panel before that i call that lando watching internet porn hang on i'm getting there i'm getting there there are page numbers 
Not on mine. Oh yes, <laughs> you're right. He's, oh, you're right. Yeah, he's even good. That's page eighteen. Yes, yeah, okay. It is. Yeah. It's page eighteen. It's like that page doesn't have a number. What the hell? Take that last panel of page nineteen. If you took that panel out of this book and showed it to somebody and said, "What comic? Tell me what comic this? is this from?" They'd never guess Star Wars in a million years. Well, yeah, and then you put it right next to that picture of Akbar, and it looks like they're just clipped from two two different comics. It looks like somebody did a Photoshop project or something, you know. This month on Comic Podcast, it's Star Wars and you know, Fumio the Fire Midget comics. <laughs> Uh, they're still hanging out in the Ewok village. Love it there. They love it there. It's very just... relaxing. <laughs> um, the neighborhood, the neighborhood association is really reasonable there, and like, <laughs> it's not not as heavily zoned as other gated communities. Because of this bizarre decision by Anne Nascenti, then this book becomes by default the first appearance of uh, Han's faithful Indian companion, Bay, And that's just odd. There's also a, a, an action figure just sort of tagging along. It's like, it's like it's his first day at work, so they got him tagging along with Han Solo and just going, oh, okay. He doesn't really serve much of a function. You really called it with 90s X-Men, though, because he does. He Now that I look at him, he kind of reminds me of, like, Cable or somebody yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. Some, 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 something yeah. that Rob Liefeld had his, yeah, exactly. had his tiny feet in. Uh, <laughs> what else do we got? Yeah, he's, um, like a, he's almost like a stand-in Wookiee, too, because he's gigundous and but, he does, but he's not as fun as a Wookiee, for sure. He doesn't do shit. He just stands around and looks 90s. He's ahead of his time. <laughs> Speaking of shit, the are you shitting me moment of the issue for me was panel one of page 12 where alright, so Luke and Han have gotten to the planet that Lemo sent them to and the, the whole mission here was Lemo sent them to his secret hideout on this planet or city whatever it is and the guys just open fire on him because they don't know who they are and so for some reason luke is able to get them to stop shooting he says you in there limo and santa send us and the guy from the doorway says oh yeah well what's the password luke says bantha Ah! that's the password serious of course it is if it wasn't that it would have been womp rat or gundark (laughs) Are you kidding me? And then, all right, so then he goes, oh, all right, well, come on in. So he calls them all in. They're in there. They're discussing this deal, which goes down ridiculously because the guys just hand over the the statue. There's no real, like, you know, they, they really have no reason goes, to just one guy goes, capitulate. Well, they knew the password. <laughs> right, right. So they're standing around. They're, they're cutting they're this deal. They're a bunch of Otis's, man. I don't and, know and, the <laughs> password. You know, they, they cut this deal and everything. And then at the very bottom, there's those three panels where Scott the comes in. Yeah. He he comes in and he's he's holding it. Alright, well I'll I'll just be taking that statue now. It's like how 
what did they just leave the door open? How did this guy get in there? What is the point to this part of the, it doesn't it make any sense. So There's yeah. I think maybe they got to the end of the story and realized they needed to pad it out well, with another pad it out with panels to, or something. Yeah. But it's not even like when they show him eavesdropping, it's almost like somebody just sort of like added his picture into the court. I was looking at it and going, Am I supposed to know who this is? Did I? Did I see this? Am I a lazy reader and I just missed who this idiot is? You know, is why is the crypt keeper all of a sudden just like he he? We'll see about that. <laughs> like Skeletor, because <laughs> he does look like Skeletor. Yeah, he's um. I I'm just you know I'm just gonna jump to the end of the thing. It's a. St- stupid resolution to the story it it really doesn't make i mean there's no consequences for han doing this at all you know akbar doesn't chew him out he's not upset you know there, there's nothing he he totally usurped the fleet for for the, his own end you know akbar he doesn't act upset about it he just he's kind of yeah, like well t- you know no no harm no foul. well you know you almost went to war were you just bluffing Lucky for everyone, we'll never know. We'll never know if I'm a, you know, psychopath who'll kill off an entire civilization. <laughs> and, uh, you know, again, I thought, uh, you know, Space Akira here wasn't calling the shots. They make a big deal about that, that, you know, it's he, not he, up just, to him. I think he, it was not up to him to make the decision, but he was just like, well, if I don't, you know, he was probably like, well, I'm not supposed to. He probably would get chewed out afterwards. But, you know, how much could you chew out the little guy if it's just like, you idiot, you were supposed to let the world get destroyed. You know, so he might not. He might have been like, I have no say in it, but it might not, that might not have meant. He is a diplomat. That might not have meant I can't do it. He just meant I don't ha- I can't make that call. Because being able to make the call and being able to do it are two different things, you know. This is true. You can you can do it. You 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 can you could be able to do something, but there's no way you're gonna make that call because your superiors are gonna, you know, chew chew your ass up when. But you know, this was a sort of do or die sort of thing. So he had to go. Well, you know, they did they did save my pathetic life and every single living creature on the planet's life <laughs> and they went out of their way to do it just out of the kindness of their hearts basically on a on a mercy mission just out of their own mercy they were on a mercy mission this time <laughs> but you know yeah it's as just lackluster and as rushed and stupid as it may have been it's... it did have a couple redeeming qualities it had Fenshisa. The Drebel sequence I thought was fantastic. Mm-hmm. I really liked that. But best of all, damn, do we have some good chewy dialogue in this <laughs> one. Page seven, and again on page 16, we get Gronk. Uh, page stand eight, by. we get Groof. <laughs> page 10, I love because it's a question. We get Bart. Well, we get an Aru, which is a Wolfman Jack. I think I'm going to call Aru's a Wolfman Jack. Aru! <laughs> Page 12 has two good ones. We got Grorf, and then as he's falling out of the doorway with Lando, we get Rarp. Did you do Barr? 
No, I think I. Oh, the question one? Yes. B O W R? Yeah, I did do uh-huh. that one. Burr. And then on page 18, we got. <laughs> How the hell do you even pronounce that? Ronk. Ronk? <laughs> He's sort of like Scooby Doo in a lot of ways. <laughs> yes, he is. Raggy? Oh, it's awesome. So that's that's pretty much all I got. I did note in the uh, in the bullpen bulletins thing there that uh, Sup- uh, Squadron Supreme and Longshot were both debuting. Which uh, wow, that takes me back. Well, that's about all I got Longshot, on that. Yes, yeah, that was a good series. At least back then it was. I don't know. I haven't read it since then, so it may not have held up. I'm not sure. It's hard to say. Well, you want to take a a short break and then pop back with some Adventures of Indiana Jones? Absolutely. Then we shall do that. (laughs) We'll be right back. This is the story of my family. That's me. I'm Scott. There's Chris, my wonderful co-host. And our children, Josh, Jaina, John David, Jill, Jessa, Giuseppe, Ganymede, Jello, Guadalupe, Gallagher, Gomer, Goober, SpongeBob, Shenandoah, Toomer, Tupac, San Francisco, Betty Joe, Betty Lou, Betty Sue, Billy Jean, Billy Joe, Bobby Joe, Bobby Sue, Bobby Jean, Bobby Joe, Optimus Prime, Yahoo, Condoleezza Couscous, Cosmo, Dr. No, Shaniqua, Adolph, Cletus, Festus, Bocephus, Coolidge, Cooter, Del Monte, Enos, Eros, Beavis, Hemi, Harley Davidson, Mork, Socrates, Domino, and Strawberry Daiquiri. If you lost count, that's 17 in all. Plus, we just won another three on eBay. We're not a typical family. In fact, you might say we're goddamn freaks. The children run naked, filthy, barefoot, and hungry while we mostly watch TV or surf the internet. As for school, we'll occasionally read to them from Who's Who or the official handbook of the Marvel Universe. To make ends meet, we've taught the children to shoplift, Plus, we sell tickets so that folks can stare at them on the weekends. And even though we haven't any parental qualifications, sense of responsibility, or formal education, somehow we make it all work out. We're Two True Freaks and Counting. Clouds of war gather ominously over Europe. The Great Depression grips the world. But one globe-trotting archaeologist's thirst for adventure and discovery remains undaunted by his times. Stan Lee presents... The Further Adventures of Indiana Jones. And as stated just moments before, we're back! (laughs) (laughs) That joke never gets old. And, uh... (laughs) Watch me pull a rabbit out of my hat. (laughs) All right. So we're back. We're in the Indiana Jones part of 
of the show, and this time I will be Woo-hoo! your synopsis master, synopsis, synopsis meister, Chris Honeywell. And we're looking at Marvel Comics, The Further Adventures of Indiana Jones, number lucky seven. And uh, this was uh, July, se- July, July 7th, July 1983. I don't know exactly what date. It was 60 cent cover. And I'm going to assume that the cover, I don't see any names on it, but I'm going to assume just by the look of it that it was probably um, at least Carrie Gamble and probably Sam Della Rosa inking it. See, that's what I thought too, but according to the source I looked up, and I'm trying to remember what that was, I think it was, excuse me, I think that was Mike's Amazing World of Comics, um, it said that this is actually Ron Friends and see that. Uh, Danny uh, Bolinati. But hmm. uh, yeah, it's it's fantastic, it, man. This is one of my favorites of the entire. It series. is a uh, my note on it is it's a classic '70s Marvel cover. It, oh yes, it, it reminds yeah. me of like a Conan the Barbarian cover. You know, mm-hmm. it it, it ha- it's it's very. It's it's not like a lot of the covers that Marvel Comics was doing at this time. It's kind of weird. It's like seventies retro in the eighties. I, I I dig it a lot. I love it. It's nice. And you, you gotta you gotta paint a mental picture for the for the listeners that may not be familiar with. How this, can I this paint cover? a mental picture when my paint box is empty? <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh-huh. it's 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 Indy hanging by his whip from a tree, holding up Marion, who is you know this is all sort of on a diagonal. It's all beautifully composed diagonally, and up in the tree is a giant snake, and he's holding Marion, who is just dangling inches away from the snapping jaws of some snappers, some some I don't know if they're alligators or crocodiles. I can never remember. But they're, but they're, you know, she's got the classic outstretched hand with, with a, with a big toothy grin about to just clomp over it. And Indy's, Indy's focused on pulling Marion up away from the, the, the gators. And uh, he's saying, it could be worse, Marion. It could be snakes. (laughs) That's funny because there's a giant snake right there. But he always runs into Nazis and snakes. Anyway. <laughs> so. Do you know how many of the classics you have ruined for me with that I album? I plan on ruining more in the future, too. But that's another story for another day. <laughs> so um, so this time we got a, a script by Michelini. Carrie Gamble. Penel, pen, penels. Penis. Penises. Pinces. Uh, Sam Della Rosa back again on Star Wars Monthly Monday Forty Seven. He's getting a lot of airtime this this month uh, doing <laughs> inks, and we like him better. This oh time yeah, oh too. yeah. He he uh, he he earned his paycheck this month. Um, Sam Della De Rosa earned his paycheck. Joe Risen letters. Bob Sheridan. <laughs> Louise Jones editor and Jim Shooter. Editor in chief, and like 
for some reason named just like an Abbott and Costello movie. <laughs> this issue is called Africa Screams. Oh my God, that's right. I knew I'd heard that before. It's that's a, it's where an Abbott from. Costello movie. So I guess Ma- Marion and uh, Indy are sort of Abbott and Costello in there. Anyway, so um, we begin our, our tale with uh, Indiana Jones busting up an antiquities smuggling ring in, in the south of France. And it's it's in an old monastery and with all these thugs disguised as, as Franciscan monks. And it's headed by an old foil of Indy's um, <laughs> named MacGyver. Who can make anything out of any antiquity? So Indy recovers uh, this this artifact from that was stolen from the the museum that Marcus wants back from MacGyver, and barely escapes the monastery by jumping out a window into a wine vat and stealing a truck and driving away. And Mac, MacGyver, I keep on calling him Vicer. MacGyver vows <laughs> revenge and shakes his fist in the air at Indy. So uh. Back home, you know, Marcus is is surprised and elated to discover that um, when Indy um, took this um, this artifact back, he wrapped it up in a piece of paper to keep it from getting banged up. Even though I noticed it was made of rock, and I'm no rock paper scissors expert, but paper does cover rock, but I don't think it really protects it that much. But anyway. So this piece of paper that that Indy used, that crumpled up to over the artifact turns out to really be a, a map made by an ancient uh, tribe or group of people who legends say come from the mystical continent of Atlantis. of Atlantis was an island which lay before the great flood in the area we now call the Atlantic Ocean. So great an area of land that from her western shores those beautiful sailors journeyed to the south and the North Americas with ease in their ships with painted sails. To the east Africa was her neighbor, across a short strait of sea miles. The great Egyptian age is but a remnant of the Atlantean culture. The antediluvian kings colonized the world. All the gods who play in the mythological dramas, in all legends from all lands, were from fair Atlantis. Knowing her fate, Atlantis sent out ships to all corners of the earth. On board were the twelve. The poet, the physician, the farmer, the scientist, the magician, and the other so-called gods of our legends. Though gods they were, and as the elders of our time choose to remain blind, let us rejoice and let us sing and dance and ring in the new Way down below the 
man, I just faded out there on my Atlantis and went back into a sort of 60s thing. So, um... Stay on stay target. On. Stay on ba, ba, target. Ba, 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 ba. Start, okay. Turning into Donovan. Um, so Marcus and Indy hatch a plan to go to uh, Africa and get some of that sweet, sweet Atlantis booty, which they think might be at the end of this treasure map. And Marion, who apparently now is a Lois Lane style... Oh my god, that's the same note that yeah, I have. Um, it's has been eavesdropping and then does a classic that's Lois awesome. Lane and threatens to scoop their story unless she can go along. And so Indy reluctantly agrees, even though I don't think it's that reluctantly because it's always nice to have a girl along when you're Indiana Jones, if you know what I mean. So in Africa... <laughs> Indy tries to hire some uh, local guides, but he's told that a Dutch uh, pharmacological team has beat him to it and hired up all the natives. So he and Marion basically set off on their own in a log raft down the river, and I don't know if it's supposed to be the Amazon. It looks too small. It's some tributary of the Amazon, but through the jungle on a river. And all's going pretty smoothly, and Indy's even starting to talk a little mushy talk when a hungry, hungry hippo decides to overturn their raft. After uh, fleeing the hippo, then they have to uh, evade in, in this order, alligators, a snake, and then quicksand. The quote-unquote Dutch expedition shows up and pull the two out of the quicksand, but Indy is suspicious of their heavy weaponry and uh, oddly Germanic accents. And uh, his suspicions pan out when he investigates a tent in their camp and finds it's full of Nazi ammo. Nazi ammo. Um, when the filthy Huns show up with a machine gun uh, to, to off Indy, he finds out that the expedition is led by none other than guess, wait for it, wait for it, MacGyver, who is after the same loot as Indy. And, and uh, basically the Nazis are along for a ride because, of course, there's going to be some mystical energy source that Hitler will be able to use to win the war that hasn't happened yet. Jones escapes by knocking a lantern into an open am ammo box and uh, grabs Marion in the ensuing chaos. And so uh, they, they run a little way from the camp and they uh, hide in a sort of cave entrance crack in the rock and... Uh, and watch the Nazis run around like chickens with their heads cut off trying to find them. Then, behind them, a pair of glowing eyes appear in the cave, and they hear a guttural growl. And it's an Indiana Jones story, so <laughs> that's about where it leaves you hanging. I like the next issue box. It says, next issue, pounce lunch. <laughs> <laughs> So, God, I remember these going downhill, and this is a great, from cover to cover, this mm -hmm. is a great episode. Now, granted, it almost repeats beat for beat a scene from that whole Stonehenge story, with the quicksand yes. and, the, and, the, and a gun and a limb and stuff, but, you know, it's an adventure story, so this sort of stuff's, ha you know, we run into a lot of rope bridges, too, you know, in these... So I'll forgive all that. Um, boy, the art's beautiful in this. Uh, I, mm -hmm. I seem to remember by now I was almost giving up on it as a kid and going, oh, this art sucks. And I remember 
being sort of like hesitant to start reading this. And then I'm reading and I'm going, wow, what was I thinking? This looks beautiful. And a lot of it has to do with the inks. (laughs) The inks are gorgeous on this. Very detailed and very meticulous. See, Gamel... See, I'm not sure if it's pronounced... I've always said Gamel, and then I've recently heard other podcasters saying Gamil. So it's either Gamel or Gamil, but uh, Carrie Gamel... I like Gamel. um, I think it's one of those great and underrated, very underrated artists. He's one of those artists you hardly ever even hear mentioned, you know, in, in, in conversation about comics. But uh, I really, I mean, even though I read these as a kid, I, I didn't remember him. I really discovered him um, on, uh, on Superman because right after Burn quit, on Superman Volume 2, Burn quit with issue number 22, the issue where Superman killed the Phantom Zone villains. And then the next issue was uh, was basically a fill-in issue by um, Mike Mignola. And then starting with the next issue after that, number 24, Carrie Gamble was the regular artist for quite it's, a while the, on this Superman. This is very he's John Byrne-like. Very yeah. John Byrne, yeah. Yeah. Well, I looked back over the over the history of uh, of Kerry Gamlin. He actually um, has followed up Burn a number of times. Most notably, um, Power Man. It wasn't immediately after Burn left Power Man, but it wasn't too far in the future. And I think he probably got the job because he's got a very similar style. And then uh, also uh, Fantastic Four. He did work during Burn's run. There was at least one issue where he filled in on the art chores while burn you know burn was still writing and everything but he but gamble actually did the the art in at least one issue and then after burn left he did the art for a little while too i like him because i think that uh that he's one of those guys that kind of comes out of that school of kind of being a burn you know burn follower Mm -hmm. burn worshiper whatever like uh like say paul ryan i don't know if those two ever work together but i'd love to see something uh, penciled in ink by uh, by Gamble and Ryan working together. I think that would be awesome. Yeah, this, this, this uh, has a very I, I like both their styles. This has a very burn Austin feel to it. Um, Della Rosa yeah. is a little lighter touch on the the lines are lighter, but and more yeah. detailed instead of with some of the like you know you know Austin always has he has a lot of light stuff, but he has it's all in between. There's some really thick inking in it too, and and once again it's. And I'm sort of liking this with the comics. The Indy and Marion don't look like, you know, Harrison Ford and, um, and, uh, what's her name? Um, Karen Allen. But they look like Indy and, a... they look like Indy and Marion, you know? They... I think there's a couple panels where she re- kind of resembles Karen Allen, but yeah, I, I had it's a the note freckles, that I thought, you in... know, that did yeah. do it. But, you know, but, but, in this, but for some reason, he gets, there's a shot of Marcus. Where he's yes. looking over his shoulder from the map, that looks dead on like the actor who played Marcus. It looks like Marcus. Yes. It looks like John Byrne drew it too. Yeah, yeah. Den Denholm Den Elliott, Elliott. Is yeah. that his name? Yeah, yeah. I think uh, I think Indy actually looks more like Lee Majors than yes. Harrison Ford in yes. this. But uh, but yeah, Marcus look. He's he's dead he on. He looks like Lee Majors did in the Six Million Dollar Man comics. <laughs> right, yeah, you're right. See, I like this idea of Indy going after his rivals, you know, the the rival archaeologists and everything. That's an idea that uh 
I know gets revisited at least one more time because at some point, and I'm not sure if it's during um, Michelini's run. Actually, I, I just was reading the other day that that's actually pronounced Michelinal, I guess, is the actual pronunciation. But that's going to be tough for me to convert to because I've always said Michelini. Let's just call anyway, from now on. <laughs> Michelin Man. I don't know if it's one of his stories or not, but I remember that there is a story that picked up just a, a piece of dialogue from Raiders is right after um, the opening scene in Raiders with the boulder and all that, when he gets to the, to the school and Marcus comes in and interrupts Indy's class or, you know, catches the end of Indy's class. There's a part where Indy says something about having lost the idol to um, Belloc and he says, there's, well, there's only one place he could get rid of it, Marrakesh. He goes, I need $2,000. They actually picked that up in one of these issues where Indy goes to Marrakesh to recover the idol. So I, you know, so that was something that they were going with a little bit, was Indy you know, going after things that had been stolen from him or, or you know, taken out from under him, that sort of thing. And I kind of like that idea. You know, it's somewhere for them to run anyway, with only one movie to to work with at this yeah, point. Yeah, well, it's like um, Mission to Ord Mantel or something. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, a little piece of dialogue they could they mm-hmm. could spin into another story. Mm-hmm. Why not I with think this in this indie, case? Why not? <laughs> I I really liked this story a lot. One of the things I really liked was this entire opening sequence with Indy in the monastery. I mean this whole sequence takes up like a solid third of the book and it's really just a chase. It's a chase and a gunfight. It's, a, it's and that an sort indie of opening and it starts out with a boom of like Indy's threatening a man of the cloth. He's like, I'll put a hole in your belly and drain the wine out of your belly. And it's like, right. You know, this is a kind of harsher Indiana Jones and we're used to what's going on here. And then, you know, and then as it develops, you find out that this guy's a, a thief that, uh, and he's recovering something. So, it's not a real priest, but I like how it starts out like that, and then it's just a fun chase, yeah. One thing I, I thought that this could have benefited from, though, was I think that Indy should have got winged at some point, because there's an awful lot of bullets flying around him for well, him that's the never thing, to he, get shot or anything. He, he doesn't get beat up in the comics as bad as he does in the movies and the movies it's like right. a diehard movie it's just basically the character the character right. gets a couple rests during the movie but he's just getting pummeled from beginning to end you know and it's just one thing after another you know it's almost an endurance test for him so yeah maybe they're toning it down for the comics or, or stuff but yeah he should get winged and and nailed and bruised up you know a, a lot more in my estimation. I like when he gets back to the States and it's, you know, the caption at the top just says home. And I'm looking at this exterior shot of his house thinking, um, I don't remember Indy living in the cottage of the seven dwarves. What the, what the hell is this house? (laughs) that, That doesn't look like his house from Raiders. I don't think. We did see the exterior of that in that movie, didn't we? Or did we, we not? Did I can't Raiders. remember. It, it almost seemed like he did had we? an apartment in Raiders. Yeah. 
Um, I loved what you said about uh, Marion and Lois Lane because that was my exact note. Since when did uh, Marion become Lois Lane? Because that's totally who. Yeah, she's... and they, there hasn't been a thing where she's like, "I'm gonna go get a job." But the, last we knew, she was you know collecting the insurance money from her nightclub that that blew. Right. So yeah, I don't know where that that came from. I don't. I mean, I don't mind it, but yeah, it does seem like it's completely out of left. I field. think they were trying to think of a reason to get her into more stories. Maybe could be. Indy makes reference to uh, Walter Winchell, who I thought sounded familiar. I looked him up. He was basically he was a famous newsman. That's basically all that was. But um, now I really liked. I mean, really liked the uh the moment between Indy and Marion while they were on the raft the the dialogue between them and saying you know how because of the nature of their their lives and Indy's adventures and everything they'd really never gotten any serious downtime between Raiders and this this was really the first time they'd been able to spend or quiet or time get together. downtime yeah and i like that a lot because right toward the end of that scene before the next big thing happens Indy starts to tell her you know I've been thinking about us and you know maybe when we get back to the states and he de- doesn't get a chance to complete the thought but I thought you know that kind of fits nicely with with where they ended up going with uh with Crystal, Crystal Skull, Skull. yeah that, you're that right fit pretty well now this issue this especially this next sequence made me ask again something that I've suspected for a long time that I'm hoping, fingers crossed, maybe in the near future I can ask directly and maybe even get an answer. Um, I've long suspected that David Michelini or Michelini is uh, is a Disney fan. I don't know if a closet, I was going to say closet Disney fan. I don't know so much closet Disney fan, but a, a Disney fan. I Because during his here. time working on uh, on Iron Man he did a great riff on Iron Man where Iron Man uh, was building um, a, a new uh, I, I don't think it was called Stark Enterprises but he, he basically he'd lost his fortune he'd lost his company and then when he came back and was building it back up the, the, the facility he was building was very very Epcot and little touches like that. I remember there was another story. I'm pretty sure he was the writer on it where um, Tony Stark was romancing a uh, a new public. I think it was like a public relations person that he wanted to come join his company or something. So he rented out uh, Disneyland for the day to take her there to kind of impress her about, you know, the company and all that sort of thing. Little touches like that he'd done over the years in different stories I'd read. This right here, all right, so to paint the picture for you, they're actually on whatever river. I don't don't think it actually names the river, but they're on this river. Oh, okay, here it is, Sankuru River in Africa. And it's just a little raft, and Indy's got a pole, and, you know, he's he's pushing them down this raft and everything. All of a sudden, there's these bubbles start coming up from behind them, and they get attacked by a hippo. And the first thing I thought was the world famous jungle cruise from Disneyland. Cause that's kind of what this whole sequence feels like to me. And I, I just can't help but wonder if, if I'm just reading more into it than is actually there, or was this a riff on the jungle cruise? Cause that's basically what, well, if what's there was going a native up a tree, maybe 
<laughs> That's true. That's true. But I, I thought that was really cool. They I, both I, come I from the same source material, that. Africa. You know, basically, <laughs> you know, traveling down a river in Africa, that is what you would deal with. Maybe not all at once like that, but... As much as I love the next part of this where, you know, they get away from the hippos. And I was glad he didn't shoot the hippos, too, which is what they used to do on the old uh, Jungle Cruise before they uh, they finally changed that in the storyline. But the next part of it, they see the alligators going into the water off the uh, the opposite bank and coming towards them. So Indy whips out his whip, lashes it around a, an overhanging branch and drags, you know, tries to climb up to drag them to safety. As awesome as this scene is and the art is just gorgeous in this, I, I just I feel obligated to point out that in real life, whips which are made primarily of leather, they don't work so well when they're wet. And I know this from real life hard experience. It's just it's one of the more impractical moments in this story, unfortunately. But uh man, I wish these pages were numbered because the very next page that first panel, are you familiar with, um, oh, I'm trying to think of the artist's name. Oh, I just completely blanked on his name. He did some work for like X-Men and stuff a number of years ago. Also, Brian Hitch looks a lot like this guy's art, but Indy right there in that, in that panel where where uh, Marion is looking up over his shoulder and seeing the snake, the way Indy looks as he's looking back at her and everything, that looks very much like, um, oh my God, I completely blanked on the guy's name. He did work on like X-Men and Bat, oh shit. Oh well, never mind. I can't think of his name off the top of my head. For those of you playing along with the Two True Freaks home game, the answer that Scott is trying to look for is Paul Neary. Paul Neary. But uh, like Brian hit when Brian Hitch did like uh, like Ultimates. Uh-huh. Like remember like uh, like Ant Man when he had the like the scruffy beard, you know, like the like the three day beard nah, thing going. Kind of looks a little that. bit like. Yeah, you did. You read the Ultimates. Yeah, you did because that was the one where where oh. Cap went and beat the hell out of him. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm talking about? I do now. Yeah, it was it was one of my. Make Chris read a goddamn comics. Yep. But there's an artist that that I think Brian Hitch kind of maybe swiped his style from a little bit, but I can I completely blanking on the guy's name. I, I want to say it's Paul something, but I I, Paul I can't Smith? remember. No. Paul Neary. It's Alan Davis and Paul. It's a team. They generally work together as a team. It's Alan Davis and I can't think of the other guy's name. But anyway, look, this this indie part right here looks a lot like that guy's art, but I can't think of his name. Anyway, what else have we got? More quicksand, as you pointed out. Now, I wanted to know, did Indy go back for his whip? Because we don't see him go back for it after he's rescued by the by the Dutch Nazis or whatever the hell these guys are supposed to be. But there was a scene right toward the end of the book. Okay, it's after he grabs Marion and it shows them running in the dark. That first panel of them running in the dark, running away from the camp. It kind of looks like his, his whip is back on 
you know, hanging from his side again, but it's hard to tell if that's his whip or if that's his his satchel bag. You see what I'm talking about? Yeah, I can't I can't, tell. I can't quite make it up, but the way it's colored, it could be either one. But I was just really curious if he did actually get his whip back or, or not. It never really made it made it plain in this. I'll bet you we see his whip in the next episode, so I'll bet he did. Probably. Yeah. Well, that whole knocked over the, the lantern setting off the ammo thing doesn't work for me in this at all because you would think that it would take a while mm-hmm. for that fire to build to a point where it would set off ammo and you know what I mean? To it, the it point of where everybody had to jump for cover. But then yeah. again, there is that instant human instinct to jump for cover. So he might have relied on that ah, when they that's... saw it go over in the ammo. Everybody went, oh, shit, you know, and did the... Yeah. <laughs> I kept looking at MacGyver through this whole story and going, man, I recognize this guy from something. I And I couldn't place it for the longest time. And then it finally hit me. The last time we see him, at least I think it's the last panel we see him in this story. Yeah, it is. It's, it's the one where... Uh, where it's the reveal, basically. Right. It's where Indy's caught red-handed in the Nazi tent. And then uh, the German says to him, he says, uh, he says, oh, yeah, he says, a gentleman whose acquaintance I believe you've made before, and you turn the page, and it's MacGyver walking into the tent. It suddenly hit me. He looks exactly like uh, Lex Luthor II from... Uh, there was a storyline, you know, in the in the post-burn Superman era where Lex Luthor faked his own death and came back basically as his own son. What it turned out it was is that they saved Luthor's brain and cloned him a new they body. They saved Luthor's he, brain. That was the yep, that was the name of the story too. They had saved Luthor's brain. And eventually it was revealed that the person that we came to know as Lex Luthor II was actually Lex Luthor. He had just cloned himself a new body and was passing himself off as his own son. And this is what he looked exactly like this dude. He also looks, I can't remember the character's name, but there was a guy, maybe you'll remember in the Burn X-Men, who was the uh, leader of the Hellfire Club. And he looks. Oh like yeah, him. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh god, I can't. Yeah, I know who you mean. I can't think of his name though. But yeah, you're right. He did look like that guy. That's pretty much all I got. I thought this was a really, really goodish. I enjoyed this it a was lot. Good. I thought it had a really good cliffhanger ending. And My, uh, the, the only just like, the only plot thing that I didn't think was fit really well was Indy sh- figured out these guys. I figured out these guys were like Nazis immediately because like at first they're dutch so they say stuff like something he goes oh so we'll pull you out of the quicksand yeah and it's like okay so that they sound dutch but then they started saying gotten himmel and stuff you know standard comic book german phrases i'm like these guys are talking german and uh you would have think thought indy would have been just like wait a minute this isn't a dutch especially his anthropological experience would have said these guys are kind of talking German instead of Dutch. But otherwise, that's a minor point. Otherwise, it was fun. It was great to see really good art. Dutch, German, what's, what's I'm the glad difference, that, I'm really? glad that my... Hey, well... <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Yeah, I'm I, I'm glad to see that my memory is incorrect about these comics. I've been yeah, I've been I, I've been trolling know. eBay. Last last episode talking with Shag, I had my eyes on the on the whole run of this that somebody had up started for five ninety five, and wow. uh, and it was one of those auctions that ended at three in the morning when it ended, and didn't look like anybody was paying attention to it, and had no post it free postage, and I was like, will I get this for five ninety nine? And no, I didn't. It it ended up going up to like forty fifty bucks or something like that, which. Still, that's not. That's not bad. bad. I don't have that much kind of money to to spend on, on comics these days. You know what I mean? I mean, for five ninety five, oh, yeah. I'm not gonna. Even if it went up to like ten, fifteen dollars, it's just like, yeah, you know, it'd be. Nice. Now, do you have any of these as actual paper issues? I think I got issues? the first three or four, something like that. Because what I see quite a little bit is, um, I don't know how many there are. But I see the first omnibus. I think. No, I, I mean, I, yeah, there's like 30. Yeah, I think 34 is probably right. It's 30 mm-hmm. something individual issues. But these have all been reprinted in omnibus form, kind of like those Star Wars omnibus uh, that they've been so putting out. So they probably out. only have to do like one or two of them, right? To have... There's, I, I want to say there's three, but I, then again, I'm not sure if the third one is the Marvel material. Or not. I know there's at least two. That are that are the Marvel material, possibly a third, but I see that first one on eBay fairly regularly for not too expensive because because a couple of times I've almost gone ahead and bought it because I you know I wanted to give it to the kids you know to, to let them read because I think they I think they'd really enjoy uh-huh. this you know my, my boys I think that they will or at least Logan you know but uh, but I you know I just have I've never committed to it. But uh, I see them on there for I don't know you know eight bucks or less with free shipping or you know oh. sometimes with the with shipping well, I, factored I in. Well, I haven't been a fan of the coloring bucks, so. on these comics that much anyway, so I wouldn't mind seeing them in black and white, especially those two. No, those are, are they colored. colored? They're, they're yeah they're, yeah they're uh, they're generally recolored. Oh okay. So now, I, I don't know if they recolored the indie ones. I know they recolored a lot of the Star Wars stuff. I don't know if they recolored the indies, but I imagine they probably at least touched it up a little bit. But I, I'm actually a big fan of those omnibus format books. They're they're a little bit smaller, but uh, I, I still I don't I really mind that. Like I kind of like that small thing. format because it sort of squishes them together and makes them look more saturated, you know? Right, yeah. But, uh, yeah, you know, I, I have, you know, I have the same uh, the same comment, really, is that I enjoyed this a lot and I enjoyed it much more than I expected I would because I don't have fond memories of this series beyond the burn stuff i i really don't remember i think we were being i think we were being this. little crybabies because we did because john <laughs> Byrne was gone i think that's i speaking for myself anyway i think i was like yeah i want john Byrne, and so nothing was measuring up to it and i wasn't appreciating we'll see maybe it'll go maybe it'll take a downturn soon but you know, I, mean, we're, we're, I don't know about I don't know about soon, but I know that it does. I mean, I, 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 it, I it do definitely does. But this is does not issue number seven, and seven months to us was a long time. So it, it seemed right. it, it when I, I, my memory of it as a kid was like ah the first two issues, and then I was buying them out of 
just because it was Indiana Jones, and then I was finally like, you know what, I give up, and <laughs> and gave up. But yeah, we'll see. Only time will tell. Well, I mean, so far I, I'm really digging it, and, and a lot of it is because of you know Michelini's writing mm-hmm. and everything. I think he's he's delivering some solid Indiana Jones. And I looked him up. You know, I looked up the series again just to see, you know, where, you know, how long does he stick with it? And there's a couple of breaks here and there, but for the most part, he's stuck with the majority of the series. So it gives me hope that, you know, that this will continue that, you know, we just don't remember it properly, that it's better than we remember. At least I hope so anyway. But I think a lot of it too had to do with the art. Now, see the art in this issue I thought was fantastic, but I know that down the road we're going to get some artists that we're just going to, it's going to be, I think it's, it's going to be, be tough. some tough sailing yeah. for a while, yeah. But you know, who knows? Maybe the stories will will you know counterbalance that a little bit. Time will tell. We shall see. Well, but that's it for this time around. Now, next time we got we're again we're only going to do one issue of uh, of Star Wars because it'll be the it'll big be a double size. Uh, yeah, double size anniversary issue number one hundred. And uh, Indiana Jones number eight. Looking forward to it, to both of those. Especially Definitely. to seeing seeing Cynthia Martin again. Come back, mm-hmm. Cynthia Martin. All right, we will see you next time. And just before we go, I know Scott did it at the beginning of the show, but I'd like to welcome Hey Kids Comics to the Demanza Corp world. Since this is our first show of the new year and. Starting in the new year, all hey, hey Kids Comics is on our feed now. We've got them. Right? Want <laughs> them. And if you want them, you gotta come to us. <laughs> Did you remember to feed them today? Oh, shit. sponsor an episode of this or any other of your favorite two true freaks affiliated shows simply click the paypal link on our website donate any amount at all tell us which show you're choosing and what message if any you'd like us to read on your behalf and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode with your message read in the show's opener it's that easy and there is no minimum donation Be a show sponsor today.
Anytime you plan to visit Amazon.com, please be aware that if you use the Amazon.com link located on our website, www.2TrueFreaks.Libson.com, 2 True Freaks will receive a referral bonus for any items you purchase. There is absolutely no additional cost to you whatsoever for doing this. All proceeds go directly toward keeping new episodes of all your favorite 2 True Freaks affiliated podcasts rolling, and it really helps us out. So please, use our Amazon.com link anytime you plan to visit Amazon.com. Welcome to Amazon. I love you. Visit our website at 2TrueFreaks.Libson.com. 2 True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. Libson is spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N. You can email 2TrueFreaks directly at 2TrueFreaks at gmail.com. Join our forum at ForumForGeeks.com where you can discuss all of the shows on our feed with us and your fellow listeners. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. Dumbass. And hey, you can friend me, Scott Gardner, on Facebook too. My name is spelled S-C-O-T-T-G-A-R-D-N-E-R. You can friend me on Facebook too, if you can find me. Now available, Two True Freaks t-shirts. See our website for details. Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check that out at www.comicspodcast.com, where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. We are also members of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com league. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? Thanks for listening, and join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks. If you've enjoyed this episode and the comics we discussed, why not read along with us? Both of the issues reviewed, as well as stories coming up in future episodes, are available in beautiful, full-color, inexpensive trade paperback format by Dark Horse Comics. The Star Wars material we're currently covering can be found in Star Wars Omnibus A Long Time Ago, Volume 5. 
and the first 12 issues of the Further Adventures of Indiana Jones, as well as the comic book adaptation of Raiders of the Lost Ark, can be found in Indiana Jones Omnibus, The Further Adventures, Volume 1. Both volumes can be had for cheap at Amazon.com. Just follow the link on our homepage at www.2TrueFreaks.Libson.com or direct links to both volumes will be provided in the show notes to this episode. See you next time. And this is your Uncle Don saying good night. Good night, little kids. Good night. We're off. Good. Well, that ought to hold the little bastards.